fucking damn it. Uh, Sorry. Our movie this week. No, that's all me. Talk about uh, blowing the landing. I know. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What Are You Doing Movie. Our movie this week is Goodwill Hunting Pop. Pu- ah, shit. It's been so long. Whoop, whoop, all right. Whoop. We are third, rusty. Third try. Whop, 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 whop. Third try. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What Are You Doing Movie. Our movie this week is Goodwill Hunting Pop in your DVD or where you press play, press pause when the Miramax logo fades to black. At the first frame, you perceive all black, press pause. In a second, I'll say three, two, one, unpause. Which one? I'll press play. You'll press play. And we'll watch the movie together in perfect sync. It'll be like any other commentary. Of course, with four friends in your head. Those friends this week are myself, as always, T. Christie, my friend Brian William Fender. Greetings. Alex, the music guy, Ruger. Hi. I'll find a better third yeah. thing. And then Trading <laughs> Amazing Stokes. Hello. Hey, everybody. You, you Watching you doing that was like laying tracks in front of you. I know. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, I'm, wow. I, John, it's, uh, it's John, like when you start John running. Henry? Is that the guy? Yeah. Uh, you could be an auctioneer at this it's, point. It's, it's when you start running down a hill and you're like, oh, shit, I can't stop running. <laughs> yeah. I hope I get to the bottom of the hill before I, I just have eat. to run. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, it scares the shit out of me. Goodwill Hunting is a movie. You guys. <laughs> it is. Matt yeah. Damon and Ben Affleck and Robin Williams and shit. Stellan Skarsgård. It's totally. It's weird because this is a movie that is so like nice you know <laughs> it's just like it's uncommonly nice, nice. it's it, i don't think there's been a movie made since like the princess bride that is this much of a i'm sick i'm gonna watch goodwill hunting kind of movie yeah it just kind of yeah. feels nice to watch and yep. it's weird because if you hear the history of how this movie came to be in the first place it's it's a bunch of weird ebbs and turns and they had no idea what they were doing with it and there's tales out of school about how it got written and all that stuff and it's looking more and more where it's like no none of those tales are true they just literally wrote the script and that's fucking fascinating because I don't think of being uh, you know Ben Affleck at this point is a director of renown didn't he win for Argo I think yeah, he, uh, yeah. yeah so he's yes, an Oscar winning yes, writer and director now and you know I don't think of Matt Damon as being a writer guy but he and Matt or he and Ben wrote this movie and it's fucking delightful so high five guys I'm making a really solid nice little movie from a while ago and I don't it's weird because I don't actually have a Gus Van Sant category in my head like I don't even know what other stuff he's done did, like, did he do the remake of Psycho? He did do the, the shot remake for of shot Psycho. remake of Psycho. Oh, that'll be fun. And Which, the, and and still managed to have a career afterward. And the film where like Casey Affleck <clears throat> and somebody are wandering in a desert. Oh, oh. That that's, a assassin- lot, that's a lot of, of movies. The, the assassination of yeah, that's <laughs> right. Robert Ford. That wasn't him. <laughs> no, but yeah, he's had a very eclectic career uh, doing various different things. This is like one of his more mainstream. This is like one of those, oh, this guy, this crazy indie guy is going to make this movie. Oh, okay. But this is one of his more mainstream movies. Anyway, uh, but I, I happen to like Good Will Hunting quite a bit. Uh, and it's a movie that I think I've honestly seen it like a thousand times. It's, it's crazy. But I th- it's, it's one of those movies that I never sit down and just watch. It's like, it's on. Oh, cool. I'll stop mm. channel surfing now sort of movie. It's like a Shawshank sort of thing. Um, mm. But it'll be interesting to sort of sit down and talk about why it works so well, because I don't think anyone here hates this movie, right? No. We're all like, yeah. Some of us don't love it. Oh, okay, cool. Because I'm looking to figure out what exactly this movie does that makes it seem so effortlessly, yep, that works, when other movies don't. And I wonder if it's an age thing. It could just be an age thing because I'm a sucker for, you know, Elliot Smith tunes and Robin Williams. Robin so, Williams not being funny yeah. is, is a big thing. When he's doing a serious thing. Mm, man. 10,000 years. Anyway. Mm. Brian, how are you with uh, Goodwill Hunting? Uh, I like it. I haven't. I've seen it several times, but I haven't seen it in a while. So I, I didn't just rewatch it this time. I didn't feel I needed to. Um, exactly. Yeah, because I've seen it. Like you said, I've seen it enough uh, that's you know got a pretty good handle on it. Um, but I like it. I'm, I'm. It's been a while, so I'm curious to see uh, how my tastes have shifted. Whether I'll like consider it schmaltzy or 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 not on this rewatch. Because yeah. um, it it is. It's very like it's definitely at risk of schmaltzy. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not your fault. <laughs> but it's not your fault. <laughs> it's not your fault. Uh, it's very like nineties sentimental. Uh, mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, mm-hmm. in terms got of Elliot like, Smith for a score. Uh, it's not your fault. Well, yeah, it's, it's got Danny Elfman for a score. Yeah. Yeah. Which, haha. Hey. Anyway. Um, it's an, it's yeah. Nice. So it's it's very well constructed. Nominated. I remember. I yeah. I remember it's. Um, obvi- obviously, it's like oh, this you know these two people who are now a list you know actors and everything else. 
uh, wrote a script that one, okay, I should definitely like ex- examine this in my course of trying to figure out how <laughs> movies are made. Uh, so I remember consciously doing that at, you know, many years ago. Um, so do you I'm recall sure being a- like, Oh, I get it. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, at the time it was, you know, it was like, I, I can see how this works. I have no idea why I have no idea the pieces, but yeah, I yeah. see that all the pieces are in the right order. If that <laughs> like, makes. You walked out going like, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> like I can tell that's good. I may not see how all the pieces go together quite like what's going on under the surface, but I, I can tell that it's good. So you're going to have balls to make a movie with the word good in the title. Cause you know, like you're at such a huge <laughs> yeah, risk really. of someone writing bad will hunting at like the not Miami since, Herald. Not since good burger. Has there been such a risk taken with the title? <laughs> <laughs> such a risk taken in anything really. Like yeah. that's a big yeah. risk. Regardless. That's, that's one of the bigger risks you could take as a person. Alex Ruger, what's your history with, with good will hunting? Uh, I've seen it once. Once and I was a freshman in college, uh, so in that was sweet spot. why are we doing this movie then? And, I thought uh, this movie was your fault. That that's why we're doing it because well, no, it's not his fault. It's not his fault. It's not his fault. Whose fault is it? Um, <laughs> and at the time when I was, you know, a naive, you know, not actually part of the world yet, still like in a bubble of learning and fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this was great, and I loved it. I really, really loved it, and. Uh, well, you're also, you spend a lot of time in Boston, too. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, there you and go. so, yeah, uh, this, I have a couple connections to this movie, so that, that'll be cool. <laughs> Wicked hat. Um, yeah, I, I really dug it. I really, you know, it hit me in the Benjamin Button spot. You know, it's kind of like, even though they're very different movies, it's still that sort of just like, hmm. yeah. Sentimental life's yeah. going to be okay movies. Yeah. And uh, I dug it, and uh, I want to. Have a different I don't think we've ever... I can't think of a movie we've done except for Princess Bride that's a sentimental life's going to be okay movie. We tend to either do like movies that are challenging or dumb. <laughs> well, I mean, we're going to do Sometimes another one. Both. Psycho's pretty... Psycho that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah life-affirming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Psycho has Elliot Smith music in it. Trey, what's your, uh, what's your thing with Good Will Hunting? Uh, it's uh, mixed. Um, it's, it's, I had to go back and sort of put this because I didn't have a... Since this was just a movie that I was only vaguely aware existed, it's like, yeah, it's a movie that happened. When did that happen exactly? And I had to go back and, and, and in, in archaeologically fixing where it happened in time, uh-huh. my relationship to it makes much more sense. Um, I was like, oh, okay, that's why this movie is uh, the where it is in my, in my pantheon. Um, the history is I didn't see it in the theater. It was on cable eventually. Yeah. I, I saw it. Okay, so that was Goodwill Hunting. Great. I saw that movie now. Um, I remember, I remember exactly, basically I remember exactly two things from it. How do you like them apples? Ah, oh, good line. Yeah, yeah, I remember mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember at the end, there's a high shot of a car going down a highway. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I was intrigued by the song and I looked it up and it was called Miss Misery by some guy named Elliot Smith. That was exactly the sum total of my memory of Goodwill Hunting for the past almost 20 years or so since it came out. Ah. Um, and it won, a, and, and the, other than the yeah. trivia knowledge that it won an Academy Award for screenwriting, which is like, well, that's unusual, you know, that that would have happened. Um, and then I went back and retroactively looked at that, and uh, yes, there's something notable about that that uh, we'll go ahead and run the movie. I'll bring up the topic about the, uh, the Oscar that this won for screenwriting. But... Um, so I hadn't watched it, and so I was like watching it basically fresh, you know. Uh-huh. Um, like, oh, here's a movie that uh, Ben Affleck and, and Matt Damon did when they were kids. Uh, you might want to check it out because um, I like both those guys. I think they're both great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, for the first thirty minutes, I was like, oh god, because you know, <laughs> for the first thirty minutes, it's like, wow, douchebags walking around Boston, getting in fights and solving math problems. Pinch me. This is going to be <laughs> awesome. 
Um, I did not like it at all. Um, the movie, but then when the movie becomes good and it becomes very good is when Minnie Driver and Robin Williams both show up and become part of the plot because yeah. they really are what brings it. make it work. Um, and Minnie Driver is the revelation, as I recall. This is one of the first sort of like, who's she exactly? Because she, she totally yeah. explodes on the screen. So, so when once those subplots get going, there's for me, there's way too much introduction of, yeah, I get it. They're all assholes. Um, we don't need to see Casey Affleck, you know, be a, be a snot rag again. You know, we get like eight shots of that, eight moments of that. It's it's a slow beginning, but once it gets going, I was like, okay, this is a good little character drama. And 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 if nothing else, my fact that I don't completely love it is tempered by the fact of again we go well, and they don't even make movies like this anymore right. mainstream. Yeah. And you know, when they make movies like this, they aren't hits anymore. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, so let's at least stand up and salute that you know, there's a movie about some people having some experiences and they didn't save the world and still it managed to be recognized as a movie, which hardly ever happens anymore. Showing. But it's not your fault. You're at the point. <laughs> Damn it. You're at the point where the Miramax logo has faded to black as we are here. Put your finger on the button. Three, two, one. On pause. I don't know if you noticed about the Miramax logo, and now it's been a second. So that mm. y- I know that you guys don't have it fresh on the mind, but the Miramax logo for around this time is fucking insane. Like it starts with an M. And then it lights up, and then it wipes and reveals the word Miramax, and then that flashes, and, and then, then a big like M a comes around city, it. Right? No, no, that's the new one. That's the oh, restrained new one, one. Is the New York? That's yeah, the restrained yeah, one. one. And then like an M comes around the entire thing, and it goes bah, and it goes orange, <laughs> and then there's a square that draws itself around that, and it's like 15 different layers of like Miramax, comma well, Miramax. One of the Weinstein's, I'm not going to say which, has a very small penis. Oh, so um, really? Well, and, and both of them like are like, is it? It must be. Is it you? It's one what? of the best kept secrets in Hollywood, which one it is. Oh, mm. but, uh, well, that's good. Well, then. People come here for this, that. That's amazing. <laughs> someone's, I was actually, write, someone's writing that down and running to IMDb right now. <laughs> what's interesting is I, was, I had never actually known what exactly Goodwill Hunting sort of means, because I can see like that's a... Yeah, it's okay, a weird title. It's a, mean, it's a, that's a mean, like a meaningless around. but pretty... I mean, it's a good title. It just doesn't mean anything, does it? And I'm looking on Wiki, like specifically trying to figure out what the shit does Goodwill Hunting mean? And on Wiki, that information is not present. So I did something that I have not done in quite some time. Went beyond I, Wikipedia. I oh actually think it, it my, I used my Google Foo skills because I'm like, at some point in history, you know, some guy in Tallahassee. <laughs> Somebody said, what the fuck in, is the title yeah, In 97, someone asked Matt Damon for the Tallahassee Gazette, like, why yeah. the fuck is it called? It's, and sure enough, there's actually a whole oral history thingy that was written up about it, at which point it's revealed the crazy story of how the hell this movie became called Goodwill Hunting. The actual story is that they had written this script a few times, and I don't know where in the process of the uh, series of rewrites that happened, this part of the story happens in, but I do know that they had gotten a long way into the script, and they're about to take it to Castle Rock and be like, here's our script, what do you think? And they still didn't have a title for the movie yet, and they were going back and forth on what the name of the main character was. Matt Damon was like, I think it should be Nate, and Ben Affleck's like, I fucking hate the name Nate, and they just, whatever. And eventually, they're like, we need to put something on the front page of the script. People won't read it if there's (laughs) no text. Untitled Ben Affleck is not going to (laughs) sell. Exactly. So, one of their friends, who was another filmmaker guy who at that point was nobody, and I I don't think he ever ended up doing anything, so it's not like, and that guy's name was Jim Carrey, but like some guy they knew (laughs) had written a script about this kid, like an inner city kid who gets his picture taken by some photographer. And that photo ends up being like the Time magazine cover. And the kid comes back later to find the photographer. And it's a whole drama about that called Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> ben Affleck and Matt Damon loved that title. And they're like, yo, dog, can we use that title for our movie? And if the movie gets made, we'll give you $10,000. And the guy's like, yep, yeah. fine with me. And then the movie happened. <laughs> so they changed the guy's name to Will Hunting. <laughs> That Goodwill Hunting is not a reference to something in the movie. 
The movie is a reference to the title Good Will Hunting. That's how that works. <laughs> and they're like, all right, we're going to call him Will Hunting, I guess, then. So the answer to the question, what the fuck does Good Will Hunting mean, is I still don't know. <laughs> yeah. It refers to the other movie. The answer to that question, why is, it, why is that yeah. movie called Good Will Hunting, is in a script I'll never read. I want to read that script it's now. It's one of the more inexplicable titles. I don't know. It sounds like a good, like, the good, like, you know, Damon or whoever was telling that part of the story was just the two-sentence little elevator pitch for that oh. movie. I was like, that sounds, I could, yeah, I can see that. Being it's weird movie. that a movie could make it all the way to, you know, winning an Academy Award with a title that just doesn't, just what is this fucking random? Just, what does it mean? Just nothing. Uh, MIT. Uh, I had forgotten that uh, Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier yeah, were yeah. at all part of this. At the uh, same time, Chasing creation. Amy was happening. And Ben yeah. Affleck and Matt Damon make a cameo appearance in Chasing Amy as people who it's like, who the fuck are they? Because yeah. at this point, like, <laughs> Affleck was the... Th- hey, there's Christopher Nolan. Was like the second... Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow. Yeah, you're right. Wow. Because at this point, like, Affleck yeah. had been like the second... He'd been in like uh, the, the Matthew McConaughey movie. And he'd been in Mallrats. So, like, he wasn't an unknown guy. He played a douchebag in both of those movies. Yeah. Like, the villain, almost, in both movies. And then this is, I guess, his sympathetic turn. Still playing a douchebag, but at least sympathetically now. But I don't think Matt Damon was a thing at all. No, Matt Damon just kind of popped no, up out it, of nowhere. He, if he'd done anything, and I think it was, I think he hadn't yet, uh, was Courage Under Fire. Was one oh, of those. That's, oh right, right. that's right. Which right, was right. either right around this time, maybe a little after. No, it was guy. before this. At, yeah. what, at yeah. what point did Matt Damon become... Matt Damon. Matt Damon. I think. Well, well. No, I, think the, I was. I was in the room when he became Matt Damon because I was on the set for that. But, uh, but this. Uh, I like, think it was this movie. I mean, hell, this movie was. You know, this I mean, movie was the big thing. Yeah, it was yeah. like, and then there was these like, two talent- guys wrote this movie and it got a kind of nominee for Oscar. Aren't they awesome? Like talented Mr. Ripley was another one where it's like, oh, yeah. Matt Damon. That, but I think that was that was, was the kind of the prestige movie you get for having yeah, yeah, been yeah. noticed. It would have been around this time, a little bit after this. Yeah. It's weird because to go back so far back in time, this is before like. Right now, his nose, Matt Damon's nose, is splitting <laughs> and going in two different directions, left and yeah, right. It and could go either way at this he's, point. He's getting the crevice down the middle of we it. We didn't know. But this is before he had the butt nose. <laughs> and I, I sympathize. I'm not making fun of him because I can feel in my nose that I'm going to have a butt nose when I get older. And it's freaking me. It's, I could <laughs> it's fe- coming. I can feel the future in the tip of my nose. My knee swells up. Starts raining. By the pricking of my nose. <laughs> it's weird. So this uh, whole opening here with this, fuck uh, you and your Irish I'll fuck press. you with your going to the bar and then talking. I was like, oh god, Keep is, antagonizing is me. that See what, what this movie is? I couldn't remember. It was like this is gonna go. How long is this shit gonna go on for a while? Especially this Casey Affleck dude is like Casey Affleck is. Can we just admit that Casey Affleck is the is the Clint Howard of, yes. of our generation? <laughs> oh, uh, now we have one. Well, <laughs> come on. But I, I I like Casey Affleck. I think he's a good actor. I think he does great in uh, Ocean's in, Eleven. Ocean, well, Ocean's Eleven, yeah, but uh, what's the Affleck movie uh, before um, that he did first? Uh, I want to say Gone Girl because oh, the girl oh, is in the title, but yeah. that's not it. Um, uh, gone Baby Gone. Gone Baby Gone. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. It's, I just, he just, I guess gone it's one of those title. cases where he plays an annoying douchebag so well that I just find him an annoying <laughs> douchebag and I don't enjoy watching him on screen. I've never, it's like, oh God, this guy, just get him. Okay. So I think I was just, just get him off. Get him off screen. Pick up on this until just now because I'm, I'm forced to think about it. But if this movie was made now, and remember, <laughs> it wouldn't be, it would not look like this. The photography is very, very warm and flat mm-hmm. and studio lighty. Like that bar a second ago. Next time we're in a bar, just pay attention to how it's filmed because it, if you were making that movie now, it would look the way David O. Russell or Clint Eastwood would film it. And you know what I'm talking about, where yeah. there's actually shadows and shit and like harsh, sourcey lighting. That was just like this nice, warm sort of, you know, this summer, Jason Siegel and Jennifer Aniston are kind of lighting. <laughs> yeah. Trying to fuck. <laughs> Trying <laughs> to fuck. Yeah. And I'm surprised that it's, I would, the, the impulse these days would be to make it 
like a weird little floaty handheld camera fly on the wall movie about yeah. people. Well, that's because yeah. this movie would be would now be an indie and would have to have that kind of the like, indie oh, look indie. how indie grungy we are. It's about people in Boston solving math problems. We're indie, so we can't put something on a dolly. Yeah, we can. Uh, uh, then, then we'll lose our cred. It's weird. Uh, ben Affleck and Matt Damon still look like this in my head unless I see them. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is... A, it's, it's, you know, I don't know. This... It's weird for me. It, this was right around the time. Like, these are basically the same time as when I really kind of became aware of and watched the at least some of the Kevin Smith films. Yeah. Uh, so, to me at the time, it was like, oh, the, these guys are from nowhere. It's like, well, no, because Ben Affleck was in Chasing Amy. But I, then I don't know if I watched Chasing Amy and that, oh, that's the guy from Good Will Hunting. Like, I don't remember actually which one <laughs> yeah. happened first. Did they just spell, like... 20 seconds ago did they spell fucking phonetically in boston accent did you see that yeah, yeah. and there's also they, they keep F- doing w- that w yeah <laughs> fucking fucking ah oh, there's the prudential oh man are you having boston flashbacks i have a boston boner right now yeah <laughs> I, is i've never I been to a, boston a, but a boner? Yeah. you have a boner boner yeah a boner yeah boston <laughs> is one of those yeah boston is like i guess like London or Los Angeles, both of which I have been to, it's one of those movie locations in my mind. Like Boston is like there's MIT and there's Cheers and <laughs> yeah, yeah. and uh, and uh, and people walking around and there's a subway that everyone talks yep. about all the time. The T and uh, and uh, everyone's got that just as uh, that wicked uh, wicked accent. The, the accent is not as prevalent as everyone makes it seem. It's it's like it's like saying everyone in London has huge teeth. You know, like that. They do. Like, it's like that's weird, well. though. It's it's, but that's true. <laughs> uh, well, the thing I wasn't expecting about Boston, like Alex lived there. I just visited for a second. Was like, I've never been to a city where you can immediately tell how old it is. Where it's like New yeah. York, the really yeah. old shit has been replaced by newer shit. Boston's still got buildings Boston's, that are yeah. like, yeah, they There's have gargoyles that. on them and shit. Yeah, Philly, legitimately. Yeah, Philly is kind of a similar way. In that. I've, I've never been yeah. to I've never been to Boston. Philly but, and Boston, but they're very similar. Similar. Yeah. Uh, but with Philly, it's a and I, like I said, I don't know if it's the same in Boston or not, but in Philly, it's like little pockets of 300-year-old shit next mm-hmm. to like you know, glass skyscrapers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, same thing. Yeah, and it's like, oh, okay. So they're, oh, that's Independence Hall. That's where they signed the Declaration of Independence. Right, okay. Right, right. Oh, and then there's the subway across the street. Weirdly actually, I'll take it back. Baja I have been to Boston. I have been exactly to there, Independence Hall, because I was at a... At a well, Independence Hall is in Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia. So you're you're yeah. thinking of the... Uh, I'm thinking of the other place. The other... Where the, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. we were at uh, Fansilicon, which is where Teague and I met in right. person for the first time, which in is... Worcester. Yeah, in Worcester. Yeah. Worcester, Mass. Outside of Boston. And when I had a... You know, I was waiting to get on the plane the next morning. I had like five hours to kill. So I took a, I took a ferry or something across to, you know... Um, Boston proper. I didn't realize <laughs> Worcester was that close to Boston. Yeah, you could yeah, take like a bus or whatever. How we got there because there was like you know this little pocket of you know here's where the whatever was the De- Declaration of Independence yeah, or yeah. the Constitution was well, written. There, yeah, there's or the, the Constitutional Congress was the, the Constitutional yeah. Congress was held in this uh, in this Fan Oil Hall or and whatever. If you it's if you happen to see a Chipotle near that, there, yeah, there's a that, Chipotle there. That is the building where Ralph. Waldo Emerson wrote many, many things. Yeah. Oh, uh, and that, that Chipotle. That was, yeah. And that yeah, Chipotle. yeah. I love he that burrito bowl. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I have uh, been to Boston, but I've only been that as exactly that far. Okay. I just enough time yeah. to like go and touch a piece of, you know, the Continental Americana. Congress and, yeah. and get on a plane. And I really wished I could have spent more time. That's uh, the, you just ex- basically described the experience I have had with New York City. I have been there once. I didn't get out of the car. We drove through yeah. Times Square and kept moving. On the same trip, actually, it was on the way to Worcester. That's when that happened. As we came down, it was just like, he's, gonna, he's like, my dad's like, we well, got we can't not do this real quick so we like drove through Times Square and drove through DC and 
I'm going to throw this out here real quick just because uh, we got 20 more minutes of these guys being douchebags before the plot starts happening in this movie. Uh, But uh, I I was just plugging this to Brian earlier just on that topic. There's a documentary just came out on iTunes. It's it's been notoriously underground because the rights were impossible, but they've managed to clear the rights. It's three hours long. It's called Los Angeles Plays Itself. And it's an entire documentary all about every fucking square inch of Los Angeles and how it's been in the movie using clips from the movies and analyzing like, Ooh, yeah, it's, that it's awesome. my personal fetish of, you know, of there was a thing filmed here. Well, you know, over the horse in the past hundred years, every square inch of Los Angeles has been in a movie or a TV show. This, this documentary is three hours long, pretty much covers the whole thing. Um, wow. And it talks about, you know, especially the, here's all the times the Bradbury building has been used and all the ways the Bradbury building, here's this location you've seen a million times. And, and the here's tunnel. This location. And, yeah. and, it, and it's written and it's kind of scholarly and the guy has sort of like draws like like it points out like the ultra modern like cool super you know the frank lloyd wright building and the that building that's a big you know a big cylinder on top of a post on a hollywood hill you know the big cantilevered things yep. the, the ones you've seen 10 times in movies he points out like the bad guy always lives in those houses why does the bad guy always live in the postmodern ultra you know the it's like and he even talks about the various architects like no good, no good character has ever lived in this guy's house. Why does Hollywood hate this guy's design? Only soup, only supervillains live in this house for some reason. <laughs> um, you know, the good guy never lives here. Huh. Uh, so anyway, it's a disexamination of just every, just every place in Los Angeles um, of any interest at all, using just every clip ever. So it took, cool. it, the movie's been around for ten years. Um, and finally, the, however they did it, they cleared the rights to everything in it, and now you can see this movie. It's on iTunes right now. Los Angeles plays itself. Check it out. Anyway, back to, back super, to Boston. Yeah, I, I super want to see that. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're passing out, but that little fight scene with the slow motion, that, the slow yeah. motion did not, does not work yeah. so well. Yeah. Just the, the shot of expecting K- Casey Affleck dancing. Yeah, the like <laughs> close-up <laughs> slow-mo shot of Casey Affleck, you yeah. know, with that like... Punching the face, like, then going, ah! Weird, yeah. yeah, weird like birthday party orgasm face <laughs> thing. I punched <laughs> you! Yeah. Wicked hard. Uh, and then the camera just sort of like tilts. It's like, oh, you punched the camera. Yeah, that's right. Like if, nowadays, now the, now, the, now the trope is to the camera tilts down with the person as they fall to the ground so oh, it stays yeah. as a close-up the whole way. Oh, yeah, yeah. but on, on the same axis. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. the so world like, tilts behind yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you, just, you go with them to the ground. I don't have a, a specific example of that happening in my head. But I do at the same time. Yeah, yeah. You know what I, mean? I feel like, like I I've seen know, it five yeah, times this year. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what movie it is or who the actor was or anything. One of the things I can see it that's funny about this movie is that <laughs> is that it's kind of like I wonder what the what the genesis was because in the end, other than they show some formulas on pages and blackboards and stuff like that. Obviously, you don't have to be a mathematician to get this movie. You just right. go. He's solving hard math problems. You know, he could just as easily have been playing chess there's been a movie basically about like this but it's about playing chess um or he could have been you know he's really good at tetris and you know and he's a tetris champion or whatever (laughs) so it's like you know it's weird that at the core of this movie is like weird logarithms well no there's this is a thing that doesn't is a MacGuffin because it's like he he's really good at a thing that most people aren't good at and and what that is unlike i'll contrast this with a beautiful mind where where this a beautiful mind kind of the math kind of does inform who the guy is it's like that's it's right. how it, it really gets into that's how that man sees the world he sees it in and and this guy's like no i'm just good at math 
I sometimes I like to write things on Windows, and math is the only field you can really do that in, and it's not weird. <laughs> yeah, like I, I tried to do caricatures, but people got fucking mad at me, and I had to leave that apartment. It's also a way to. I, I like the mirror trick and the glass trick because you know that's just a directory way of going. How do I, you know, write do a movie about people writing yeah, formulas add and any still visual show their, interest and show their faces at the same time? Yeah, we're looking at the back of people's heads while they write scribble numbers. So, so yeah. So the idea is like you know I wonder if they. I want to tell the story about you know a guy. Who uh, you know he his his life is going nowhere, but he has this one amazing talent. I wonder what that is, and I wonder if there was like a meeting where you know where Ben and and <laughs> Matt sat around like he's good at hockey. No, we have to do hockey <laughs> games. He's good at uh, uh, making shoes. Like, oh, you can't get a millionaire being balloon making animals. Shoes. Can it be balloon animals? Balloon animals. Yeah. He makes, he's well, good it's at balloon a, animals. It's a it's supposed to be a juxtaposition, right? Of like, okay, here are these you know. Well, basically, white trash kids are not supposed to be smart at, at best. Smart. White, yeah, white smart. trash at best. Yeah. Uh, you know that our you know our stereotype of that image of that segment of society of that demographic is not supposed to be smart. So it's like, oh, it's it's interesting that this you know white trash kid would excel yeah. in that area because you don't imagine white trash kids you know having that ability. Yeah. Well, Even though I'm sure there which are plenty is, which is, of white which trash is true kids that here. happens. I think I tell you one place where I think the movie overreaches and and has it a little gives it you know has it a little too easy is he's that but he also knows everything else yeah which i find is like right. you know he's gordon a, wood it, there's a difference between reading lots of books and absorbing lots of information yeah and being good at super super high-end math that's two that's two genius things <laughs> that i think i think it's like for this guy to be otherwise completely unremarkable you know i think it was i think it was too much to make him smart at everything I think it was too much to, you know, to, I think he's like, okay, I'm kind of a douchebag. I really don't have a single thing going for me, but I can see math problems in my head and totally get them. But yeah. I really like doing math, so I do it a lot and I'm good. Yeah, that's I, fine. But then the fact that, you know, like the scene we're having right here was like, no, he's like some kind of super genius who can pull information out of his ass on any topic at any time because he's read that book. Well, he's only 20 years old. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I just don't buy that. Uh, yeah, I can know. see that. I'd never thought of that before, but I can see that. Although, the, to address the previous thing, why math? Uh, it might just be a holdover because initially one of the ideas that they were floating around was that this was going to be a movie about how what all this movie is was act one of what they were trying to write in the first place. And it's a movie about how Will Hunting gets hired by the FBI to do something, something weapons shit. And the whole speech that he gives <laughs> in this movie where he's like, you yeah, know, right. the whole the, the speech, whole long yeah. thing about seals and shrapnel on his ass and all that stuff was a reference to where that was all going to go. And it might have been a thing where it's like originally when the FBI or CIA or whatever wanted him. It was because he could do shit with this math stuff, and that's why he's the guy that they picked. And then when they just lopped off that whole rest of the story, <laughs> it's like, well, there's no reason to really change it, so we'll leave it as math, I guess. And that's the thing. And they just yeah. it, the vestigial part of that is that one scene where so they, 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 this is a case where they took the script and then they cut Act Two and Three. You're saying, yeah, exactly. This <laughs> <laughs> is like yeah, set up the if you watch, of the trilogy. Uh, if you watch Jane and Bob Strike Back. There's a moment, there's a comedy bit where they are re- they're shooting Goodwill Hunting two hunting season, and they got this guy and they <laughs> right, got this right, guy yes. back, and it's the same fucking guy. Lion with the same, face, lemon face, lion like, face, lemon face. Right, exactly, That's it's like literally the same set. Now that I'm looking at it, it looks it's they did it's an very, incredible very job, similar. and it's the same fucking guy with the same weird haircut. It's and it's just like wow, I can't believe the the devil of detail. And they got fucking Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. If you haven't seen Jane Bob, don't worry about it. It's cool. You don't have to watch it. But <laughs> yeah. go to YouTube and type in Jane Bob movies. Strike Back, Goodwill Hunting, and, and Gus Van Sant is there and he won't call yeah. action because he's he, too busy counting his money. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, I'm, bu- I'm busy. I'm busy. Yeah. Right. 
So that was a whole comment on the fact that all these guys were like these indie scrapper guys, and then oh, you guys with the Oscar all of a sudden, yeah. you know, Jesus, I've been payday. I've been carrying you for years, and now you now you're like the hot shit. Gordon wow. Wood, Gordon Wood, Wood. Wood. Gordon and what's Wood. funny to me is that utopia and the capital forming effect. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the what's funny to mobilization. Me yeah, is that like right after this, right after this, Kevin Smith made Dogma with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon in the leading bad guy roles. They're the, I don't know, they're protagonists. They're not good guys, but they're protagonists. And I just think it's funny that there's there was a couple. I feel like there was more moments like that where they appear on screen together as like a, an acting team, not like a comedy team. They're not like mm-hmm. fucking Laurel and Hardy. It's just like just these are two bros that just keep showing up in movies together. Like, do you have a movie mm-hmm. of two bros? Because these guys are yeah. bros, and we can have these movies where there's just like one will make the other do it. If you get one interested, the other will show up. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. It's like he'll talk. Just all you got to do is just get Affleck, and he'll he'll talk Damon into it. Trust me. <laughs> And Damon just, has no will of his own. A, I think it's adorable and charming and like it's just enchanting that like they just keep showing up in movies together as bros because like outside of the movies universe out here in the real universe they're bros. Yeah. So there's like yeah we're just, it, I, maybe that's less amazing or weird or interesting now just because we're so used to the whole Seth Rogen sort of James Franco zone of people where they just keep inviting their friends back in the movies over and over again because they, they like to. But at the time I was like I can't think of any other people where it's like you know who keeps showing up in movies together all the time? It's, it's just always fucking like Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari always appear in movies together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> always. Yeah, like ever since *Bosom Buddies*, man, they're inseparable. And it's like he's playing with like Scolari plays Lieutenant Dan, but then he plays Fred Hayes. And it's like, why do we? <laughs> why, why do those guys keep appearing in movies together? I don't know. They're bros. Why not? I just you never see that except for with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, and they haven't done it in a while. I feel like they should bring it back. I yeah. feel like there should no, be. A- they sh- well, they will. They will totally at some point do their Expendables thing yeah. <laughs> where they do where it'll be goodwill hunting too or whatever the fuck it is but it'll be their version of expendables where they'll go they'll they'll be old and they'll be jowly now but they'll go back for their buddy film so mini driver which she's really good she's amazing in this and and this was also put her on there as i recall she was kind of <laughs> kind of known for having done a, a british film or or you know one of those indie, a real indie film like oh here's a young actress to watch and this and then this kind of came from that that was my awareness of her. And, uh, of course, I didn't really see this movie so that, you know, my mini driver uh, education came later. But uh, seeing it again last night in preparation for this, she, she's really good. She really is amazing in this. And it's, she has the, you know, she has the difficult job. She's the manic, she's the manic intellectual dream girl. Um, Whew. Who, um, That's a tall order. You know, she has yeah, to just is. walk yeah, in and is. go, okay, this, I get why that guy fell in love with her. Everyone, she's, she's adorable and erudite. Exactly. Yes. But not off-putting. The missing piece, as often happens in movies, is there's no reason to understand why she ever falls in love with him. But okay, fine. Um, he's wicked smart. He was dazzling, uh, I guess. And But, you know, for whatever reason, hey, chemistry or whatever else, you know, she, in the end, she has to do the, but I love you, but I don't love you. You know, I, I mean, but it's 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 been done worse. I'm saying, I'm saying it's been worse. It's been done worse. <laughs> this uh, isn't the shittiest. Version yes, of it's that. not. It's, this is not oh, a Michael. Here it comes. It's, it's oh, not a Michael Bay. But yeah, this this. How do you like them apples? My favorite line in the movie. It's the one she stuck with me for 15 years. That's the. It's the famous. It's probably the the most famous and because uh, it was in the trailer and yeah. The the most stay uh, staying put. Uh, yeah, the trailer tried to pitch this moment. as a romantic comedy, basically, as I recall, like a really? rom com, mm. and so you know, because what else can you call it? It's like you know, yeah. it's like the movie Stand and Deliver, you know, about the 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 Hispanic kids. It's like let's see, what's our pitch on this movie? Uh, 
uh, Mexican kids take a math test twice. Mm. <laughs> we need to figure out how to sell that one. So this movie, how do you sell it? It's like it's about a guy who gets a job but turns it down. I mean, what's the plot of this movie? How do you sell it? So yeah. the rom-com is the accessible part that you can you can show images that say, oh, I get it. It's a romantic comedy. Um, and only then later find out it's about, no, it's about a guy going to a shrink and... and yeah. And, and just hope the the audience doesn't walk out before. Yeah, go hey, what, uh, what the hell? I feel like this this script was just written slowly, just like over a like it doesn't it doesn't feel like, like a river type, rock. Yeah, it just yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. Like I just I can't see anyone actually writing this script. Like just, just sitting down and being like, like, this is the specific story. Yeah, I'm like tell. they they had they must have had like ah idea and then ah, other idea, and then kind of put them together, and then, like, how can we make that work? Like, I feel like they were, they were like, we have a finite like, number of ideas here. There's a whole, like, two-month process, about two years before they started making yeah. this movie, where all their friends were like, dude, you gotta take out of the cliff diving scenes. It's weird. They're like, alright, fine. Draft 95. The Pony Express montage, it doesn't really go. We've replaced the Zeppelin race with a weird math montage. Speaking of that, though, did, I don't know, this could be just one of those, like, dumb myths that didn't actually happen with the script but like i read a little while ago that they put in some random gay sex scene so <laughs> that oh, um, really? so that. that like it was sort of like the the david lee roth with the brown m&ms thing where like if if the studio mentioned it then it's like oh you read my script and the studio that they went with was the one that went i love your script but we yeah. What's with the gay sex yeah, why, why the Oh, it's out. Totally out. It's the pink lamppost. It's fine. It's the fucking pink lamppost. That's a pink lamppost in a script yeah. form. Nice. It's, nice. it's like, all right, well, I like it. It's just, why? Gotta get rid of that. That's weird. I don't like that. Oh, good. You read it. Uh, is that? Whoa, did you just notice that the curtains behind the judge is a big old Boba Fett mask? That's what it is. I don't know if you'll see it again. <laughs> Might have just been the establishing shot. But the actual shape, go back if you're watching this at home. The actual shape of the it's curtains. Like, there's a hidden Mickey Boba in this? Yeah, it was just like, like it was a Boba-shaped green curtain with like a, a, a pointy top. And then like the black line yeah. that's a T thing. And see, this here again, this is the this is the he's too superhero for me. It's like, oh, he's also going to be a legal expert. I mean, I would like this scene better if... He thinks I'm so wicked smart. I'm gonna be my own lawyer, and totally bites it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, no, dude, you're good at math, and that's all. That's all you have. Yeah. You're not also a legal expert. It, um, Will Hunting is, is wicked it, smart. Will Hunting is a Mary Sue. At yeah, the end of the he day. totally is. He's like, I wish I could be like a, a you know a scrapper from Boston who's a super genius. Yeah, I'm, know, just so, I'm just so fucking awesome, but I got a chip on my shoulder. But he's too much of a genius. He's <laughs> he's too broadly he's too broad spectrum a genius for my taste in this. He's he's smart at everything, which I think is just less realistic. That to, to answer the question in the chat, what kind of apples favorite it in Boston? <laughs> uh, I believe it is them. <laughs> them apple, them, them apples. Them. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. There's your Boba, Boba Fett. Oh. Boba Fett. I told Boba you Fett. where Boba Fett. I, Boba I mean, Fett. I, I kind of didn't see it. I kind of, <laughs> I kind of get it. It's a kind of that blue, and there's a vertical line. There's a vertical. It's, yeah. it's a shape. It's a I, shape. I, recognition I see what you're going thing. for. Pattern recognition, motherfuckers. <laughs> motherfuckers. Right. It's called uh, pareidolia. Uh, yes. Look it up, motherfucker. Basically, that was a square and a triangle, yeah, and you you, you turn it into Boba Fett. Um, who who doesn't? Yeah, that's all I do. Normal people. This is a weird moment too. I forgot about this. Where the like he just the moment where he recognizes and knows the other inmate, but the other inmate guy just lost his mind. You want my body? You want my body? Yeah. <laughs> so the other thing about this, like sort of the weird mythology of the writing process of this movie, and it goes back and forth over a million different little iterations and, and shit, where I think starting at the Oscars or in the lead up to the Oscars, some competing faction 
ha- has started throwing this rumor out that they didn't actually write yeah portions of or all of this script and it's they it's just like a, a weird wax job that they're like these guys wrote the script it's all them it's all them but people were like well we know that william goldman saw it did william goldman do a, like a, a doctoring process on this and, and goldman's like no guys yeah. and it's like well i know they're friends with kevin smith did he do a thing and, and so on and so forth and from everything i've seen and everyone that i've like i, I have not seen any credible sources for the they didn't write it thing but it's really pervasive and it's stuck around this entire time like it's still it's still a weird vibe that people have it happens with everything though like oh it's a thing that's he couldn't possibly have done that yeah there's no way that they wrote it well that's kind of someone else yeah Yeah. that kind of segues into the hey by the way this one this one an oscar for um for uh screenwriting um so i looked at the i looked at the um what did it beat (laughs) uh category um and here's 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 the reason. Here's the reason why this movie won the Oscar for screenwriting because Titanic wasn't nominated. This hmm. is the year of Titanic, uh, oh. and one of the few. I don't know if we even covered this in the Titanic commentary we did way back when. Titanic, shockingly, not nominated for best screenplay, um, because you know, again, every branch, as we've talked about many times, every branch is what gives the nominations. Apparently. Maybe the writers don't think Cameron's so hot as a writer, you know, just like for some reason, uh, Barbara Streisand never seems to get a directing nomination because directors just don't think she's a good director or don't like or don't don't think she should be in the club or whatever the reason is. Um, So this movie um, would have been up against Titanic for screenplay if Titanic had been nominated, but Titanic was not nominated for best original screenplay. Um, yeah, the nominees were as good as it gets. Deconstructing Harry, the, the Full Monty, and Boogie Nights. Yeah, so yeah. there are people. Uh, there are people who are upset uh, that that uh, Annie Hall beat Star Wars. Sure. Um, to which I say, Annie Hall is a classic, and uh, and Star Wars is obviously a very influential movie and a very fun movie. But uh, it, and the movie a- that beat Citizen Kane is also great, by the way. Exactly. Um, I am a little bit tweaked, not that I, you know, to have any bone to pick with uh, Affleck or uh, or uh, Damon here, but uh, this beat Boogie Nights for screenplay. Excuse me. Um, I uh, if I was gonna, if I was voting, um, I would have gone with Boogie Nights. Uh, I think that's a bit of a, a bit of a oh. bit of an outrage, but. Um, Meanwhile, actually, uh, I was happy to also have noticed that, you know, what else was up uh, you know, in, that, in the Titanic year when it's, it was amazing when anyone won anything that year, because this is the year of Titanic as far as Oscars. Um, L.A. Confidential uh, also managed to get the adapted screenplay. Fortunately for L.A. Confidential, it was an adapted uh, screenplay, so it won the Oscar for adapted screenplay. Yeah, beat Wag the Dog, which, huh. Yeah. I like L.A. Confidential more, but I like Wag the Dog. You now, know, now I, do you guys have any, just because it's topical, do you guys have any uh, concept of who George Plimpton is? Yeah. Okay. Yes. You know George Plimpton. No. Okay. This, he's he's, he's that. Yes. Um, he's, okay. I like. I know. I've seen that guy. Yeah. Yes. But I'm so. I'm so. I've totally forgot. Like, oh, of course, George. Plimpton he looks is like in this Carl thing. Sagan's less well-known cousin. They're kind of. Kind of. He kind of is. Yeah. Oh, in okay. fact, there's a. Uh, there's a. Uh, an American. Uh, there's a PBS <laughs> series called American Masters. Um, <laughs> they did a whole thing about uh, George Plimpton, which is uh, worth. Seeing. It was a good summation of uh, of who George Plimpton was. He's one of those guys that's kind of you kind of go, why do I know that guy? Because uh, he did a bunch of yeah. different things. But what uh, George Plimpton, you guys probably know him because he did cameos in movies like this, and he was kind of this this guy. Um, it, but that was because all the filmmakers go, oh my god, I can totally get George Plimpton to play this role. George Plimpton was a journalist mostly. 
uh, probably in what he's known mess, most for. George Plimpton, and he was a, um, there was a name for it that he, they kind of invented for him. He was a journalist who didn't go and, and talk about people doing things. He did things, and people thought it was kind of stunty that he did it. But, but like, he, he, he played, he went through, uh, like, a football, uh, football training camp. Right. Um, and he wrote a book about it called Paper Lion because he was in the training camp for the Lions. Like, what it is to, like, play football. He, 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 tried, he tried boxing. He tried stand-up comedy. He tried, you know, he would do these things. He wouldn't just report on it. He would actually experience these things. Um, participatory journalism. Yeah, which participatory journalism. And so that kind of made him, he wrote several books that were famous about that. And then he just sort of became, and he ran a literary magazine. He sounds and, like the wholesome Hunter S. Thompson. He kind of is. He, he is. He's in that same kind of zone. He, he ran a, a very famous prestigious literary magazine himself. And, you know, was in New York, just one of those New York guys who um, was just known for stuff. You know, I just would just, but mostly as a journalist and as a, as a writer. So, um, but later in life, um, to keep his magazine going and do other things, he would basically do anything. He would do he would do commercials for like Coleco, the the wave of the future, the, the Coleco you know computer like for eighty. He would do garage door opener commercials. <laughs> he would do anything. He wow. would lend his I'm George Plimpton, and this literally a garage door opener. The Genie garage door opener is so easy to install. You, uh, you know imagine. my face. You'll trust me yeah. now. He was like the he was like the uh, you know the Michael Caine of of, of American uh, Arts and Letters. Anyway, so I he always was just a fascinating guy and just uh, the, the American Masters. Uh, episode if you want to watch that just to see who he was uh, he just seems like a really just, I wish I could have hung out with George Plimpton because you know he's got stories you, <laughs> yeah, know, dude, he's, you know he's got stories and he was uh, among <laughs> among which he was eight inches away from RFK when he was shot in the in the kitchen at, no uh, shit you know, wow. he was covering that and uh, he was right Guys, there George Plimpton he was before Scump he was one of the people who, who <gasps> threw Sirhan Sirhan to the ground wow so, I didn't, oh, that's yeah. crazy one thing I, I completely forgot about this movie is the little jealousy subplot with uh, Stellan Skarsgård's yes. uh, little uh, minion assistant. yeah and like looking back on that now it's like wow that's completely pointless it, it doesn't yeah. well, it doesn't it doesn't pay off it doesn't have a you know you know the guy tries he's to in sa- act one of the version of this movie where he ends up killing everyone at the yeah end. or he sabotage yeah, yeah there, there's some there's some unconnected dots which which in a movie like this I you know it's like again it's always you have to walk that line between well why did you spend so much time setting up that character if it wasn't going anywhere yeah. versus not everything has to be cookie cutter bang 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 right. bang 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 yeah. so it's always a trade-off yeah but you know it's like but for a movie that's I think, all river rocky anyway it's weird that there's strays yeah like it's like i i i feel like but I, I i respond to that like there was a lot of setup with that guy which is cool to sort of always have that kind of subtext of the the flack the, the flunky who you know is is secretly seething but you want to go, well, but where's that going to go? What's that yeah. about? And even if it's just a simple thing, like in the end, I'm just going to continue seething. You know, like I'm not going to yeah. do anything to you. Yeah. Congratulations, you fuck. But, you know, he doesn't actually try and blow up his car or stab him in the neck or push him off a building or or even sabotage him getting the job. It's just he's just going to continue to go. Life is really unfair. Congratulations, you. Monk. I like to think that at some point, even Aww. though we don't see it in this movie, but before the end of the movie, Ugh. he leaves. And he's like, fuck this. And he goes to California, gets a job. And then like three days later, Will Hunting shows up and interviews for the job and like totally just takes his job. <laughs> that's good Will Hunting too, right yeah, there. Yeah, that would be, that, then the guy should be a that's, serial killer. That's and then, actual that, hunting season because yeah. then the yeah. guy just, yeah. Open, then, then the guy loses it. Hunting. And so Will Hunting then has to become, yeah. you know, an action star to stop this guy on his rampage. Hunting hunting becomes he, becomes a super, he becomes a super villain. So yeah. Yeah. Good Will Hunted. <laughs> yeah. nice. When the yep. hunting become the hunted. Yep. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. That's weird. But anyway, uh, speaking of the Academy Awards, by the way. Yeah. Oh, uh, by the way, who else won an Academy Award for this movie? Let's think. Mm. It's Robin Williams, uh, who 
got it. He he beat uh, out Robert Forster for Jackie Brown. Yeah, which is like ah, I is, remember talking about that on Jackie Brown. Is this the first post Williams death Williams movie? I believe it is. Uh, I think it yeah, is. this right. is basically. It is. Our, Must be. I figured the, that's why we were doing it. Yeah. Why else would we Must be talking about it? Yeah, oh, it's, it's actually the first time I'm watching a movie since a uh, movie with Robin Williams. <laughs> if you guys haven't seen it, if, if you if you at home or you um, here movie. haven't seen it, uh, Tony Zhao, who does every paint every frame of painting, uh, it's a series on YouTube and Vimeo where he just does cool little editorial pieces about movies. But he he's constructs his arguments beautifully, and he um, it's it's a great little series to watch and subscribe to on YouTube. But he did an episode of Every Frame of Painting a few days, maybe a week after Robin died, where it's an episode about how Robin moves and it's basically he's using Robin Williams as an example to talk about staging and, and what the actual process of staging and what an actor does choreography wise throughout a scene because and you'll find out over the course of that video Robin is a really specific movement kind of actor where I, I had never noticed it I'd always, I'd always thought of Robin Williams as being Robin Williams and not looking at it much more deeply than that or asking myself what kind of an actor actor he is and how he, how he likes to move around but over the course of that video, it's like, Jesus Christ, I didn't realize Robin Williams is like effortlessly good at that. And I had never even noticed that before. Yeah. The way he talks about the spectrum of all the different things that he does and what he can do with a hand that other actors wouldn't do. Or like a, if, if, if you if you found yourself needing something in a scene, your the, your impulse would be, I need you to say this or something like that. You'd, you'd try to like call out a moment that Robin would just effortlessly sort of put in with a hand where it's like, oh, yeah, I feel that. I feel the whatever the thingy I want to feel in the scene there. We don't have to adjust it. And it's because of something weird that Robin's doing that you didn't even notice it. It's like he keeps putting his hand in his pocket and then taking it out over and over again. That's such a weird thing to do, but it gives you a feeling of uneasiness. Shit like that. Where it's like, I had never noticed that about Robin and I loved Robin. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah like that's little, every frame of painting. Little like uh, tiny little gestures that yeah. you, know, you would never notice in a conscious experience, but that the, the actor is consciously constructing and putting yeah. in there. Because you think of Robin as being fucking huge and unreserved. But it's like the it's like the magic thing. You hide you hide the small move with a big move. But mm. if you actually just you know if you were to stabilize Robin Williams and watch what his limbs are doing, it's it, there's a lot of subtlety going well, that's, on too. That's one of the reasons why this movie was kind of a revelation. You know, there was there was the 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 transitional one, as I recall, you know, from in the time was Good Morning Vietnam, yeah. which is like, oh, okay, so he's being wacky, but it's a, kind of a serious. There's some seriousness there was going on. Fisher King too. Yeah, well, I think Fish, feels like Fisher King came later, but I might be wrong about that. But uh, but around certainly. Yeah. around the same time but this movie was one where it's like okay he didn't bring any of his usual like <laughs> mr happy let's uh, let's have some fun uh you know he he, he played yeah. it completely straight um because good morning good morning vietnam basically he still got to be like oh, i'm wacky guy whoa yeah, yeah. you know with like, like the, the, the tea kettle going, yeah, it was like a serious context for him to be wacky in well that's the know. that's the standard playbook for a comedian exactly it's like jim yeah. carrey was the same thing mm-hmm. with truman shows like well you're still gonna do your shtick uh, whatever your shtick is, but then you'll get scenes where you can play it straight. Yeah, and that's how we will slowly you guide to, America. And then into the majestic, and then life. you never act again. So there you go. Um, fortunately, unlike unlike Jim Carrey or you know or uh, some other uh, comedic actors, you know Marvin Williams actually managed to make that transition and be accepted in a straight dramatic role. Yeah, um, and won an Oscar for it. Um, and didn't he win an Oscar again later, or he was at least nominated? Well, he for won for Dead Poets Society, didn't he? <coughs> or at least was nominated. I forgot about Dead Poets Society. Oh, sure. Dead po- I mean, Dead Poets Society was his first hit, like serious. Uh, good, mo- good Morning Vietnam was yeah. that transition one, and then yeah. at least in my conception, I think yeah, Dead, Dead Poets Society was, was the first just this. straight. He's and this was dramatic. another one yeah. where he's like, he, 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 look, no, he can actually do this too. Yeah. But then what a lot of people, you know, forget or don't is Rem Williams trained at, I believe, Juilliard. You know, yeah. he was he was an actual trained actor 
who then went into wacky stand-up as his first way of, of making a splash. But he, you know, he had the background. He had the training. So, yeah, when he just goes, turns into an actor-actor, um, he's, he's amazing. And, uh, and he, like you said, unlike, you know, on his stage stand-up, you just think of the flailing arms right. and, the, ah, cover, discover, mm, yeah. you know, but he's and all about... 95 bottles of water. Exactly. He's all about stillness in, in these dramatic roles and just how, how he just he sits and he listens and he's fascinating to watch. By the way, if, if you... I'm just speaking to the the listener who happens to have not seen the Birdcage. If you oh haven't seen the Birdcage, straight up, you really need to see the Birdcage. It's the most entertaining thing that's ever happened, and it's awesome for more Robin Williams goodness. But also Nathan Lane, and also Hank Azaria. It's hilarious, and you have to go see the fucking Birdcage. Go <laughs> see it in the original French if you want to not understand it and not see Robin Williams. La Cage aux La Cage aux which we we totally watched in college, and I did not realize until embarrassingly long into it that it was the birdcage. <laughs> Seems an awful lot like the birdcage. Yeah, <laughs> I did not speak any French at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not the birdcage. It's let's, let's it's, it's the cage of birds. It it was my it was my girlfriend at the time, and you know a couple of our friends, and it was like. She was always into whatever the indie movie thing was, and was like, "Yeah, we're gonna watch this French film with subtitles." And really, we were just watching a French film for sub <laughs> with subtitles because we're just, just being pretentious, <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh, but it's like, oh, uh, you, well, it was I, your cargo cult indie movie experience? Exactly. exactly. Foreign film. Ex- that's exactly what it there, was. There are words on the screen. It's deep. Yeah. Then forty minutes, and it's like, wait, this the French have a problem with flamboyant homosexuality this just doesn't seem right somehow <laughs> in the in the in the 80s they did um 70s actually you know 70s when that movie came out i guess early 80s if if not 70s so the i i wonder if any psychiatrists if we, of course you know psychiatry and psychology can be any way anyone can get you to get be you know pay you to show up yeah. and talk to you for 50 minutes but um you know i i i think this is fairly straightforward stuff i just i I'm not sure I buy the it's not your fault finale. I don't even quite know what that's going for. But um, oh, so that was the problem. He just needed to be. Yeah, what? that's that's more taking a page out of like the weird psychoanalysis thing. Yeah, was, it was big for a minute a while ago. They you don't do that as much anymore. You can still find people who would do that. But for a second there, everyone thought that, that was the way that uh, the whole field was going to go. Yeah. And then but, they, uh, they're like, yeah, we're guessing half the time. So we should stop. Regardless of you know how authentic uh, this is of the uh, psychiatric uh, experience, I, I did enjoy you know the the I think I think where the script is the strongest is in these scenes you yeah. know um, as indicated why you know that that guy won an Oscar for uh, for being in them and you could tell that clearly uh, a lot of this movie I'm gonna guess just from this is, is there's, there's a lot of improv going on in this movie oh, too yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean you know they there's they, you know when the guys are just goofing around you know there's ten thousand miles of that shit yeah and they used they used uh, whatever they used um that was one of the things that was mentioned in that oral history that i read that had the goodwill hunting title story in it by the way yeah which was that robin would the, the, talking about the differences between those three guys as actors like ben would always be a little bit uh hesitant about walking away from a scene being like you know when gus would say we got it Let's move on. Ben would sometimes be like, can we do another one? I'm not, it's weird. I, I, I are you sure we got it? Like, I, I want to try again. Maybe I could do it better this time. Uh, Damon would have no problem. He'd just be <laughs> like, okay. You know, he wouldn't, he didn't have that compulsion to be like, I, I want to make sure that we covered our bases. He distressed Gus Van Sant. And Robin wouldn't ever do anything less than seven times. Like they'd, they'd just, they'd load up the truck with thousand foot mags every time Robin <laughs> was going to talk and just yeah. be like, all right, yeah. 
uh, and he would do a thing where he would basically give them a whole spectrum. And in the editing room, they had the ability to do kind of whatever they wanted to with it, where he would go all the way dark on one, all the way light on the other, and then just shades of Williams in the middle of it. <laughs> just teaspoons. Just give us, give us, uh, we wanted to go to 90% on the Williams, uh, on the 90% rabbit. An entire that was actually a dial on the movie yeah. Ola. One of the other little adorable anecdotes from that same paragraph is Gus Van Sant would, because there was a lot of camera staging shit going on in this movie, they would have to tell the camera team, like, all right, here's our A point, here's our B, and he's got, you know, he's got the one AC or two AC. Two AC's focus, right? The first AC is focus. Yeah, uh, and, you know, they're working it through and, like, doing all the blocking and shit like that. And he's saying, like, and because the, the camera movement was being motivated by the performances, we actually had to have the guys literally just do those scenes so that they could do the staging bits for it. And because they didn't want to blow the scene and, like, put acting into it, I said, Gus, I said that they could just do it in whatever character they wanted to. So Robin would be like off and running and doing it like <laughs> yeah. fucking Mrs. Doubtfire. And then eventually like Matt Damon would be like, okay, fine. And he'd get in on it too. And, the <laughs> and he's talking about how like there's every single time the camera moves in a scene with Robin Williams in it and Matt Damon in it. We have a version of it. A version of it happened where they were doing it, these weird characters and it's hilarious. And I didn't roll on any of them. I wish I could. I wish I could go back and tell myself, yeah. you idiot, you should be rolling on this. If I'd known there was going to be such a thing as DVD extras, yeah, someday. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, you know, all the all the staging tests and shit like that, or versions of it where it's like Robin Williams is doing it as Goofy or whatever. Yeah. No, while well, we're on the topic of uh, touching on the topic of Van Sant, I mean, he, he, I like I said, I have no sort of mental picture of Van Sant. Uh, he, he mostly does kind of indie. All of his, almost all of his movies are kind of off the beaten path. This, not looking up his entire filmography, which you are right now. Thank you very much. So we can see if I'm. Oh, Drugstore yes. Cowboy. I don't know yeah, see, the movies like Drugstore Cowboy, things like that. Movies that are critically acclaimed, not like mainstream hits. Um, I feel like this was one of his few, if not his only, sort of the one time he, he made, you know, the... And I don't I think this movie did well. I don't know if it was a blockbuster or not. It was maybe just sort of more critically acclaimed. But um, uh, Drugstore Cowboy came Finding before Forrester. this. And then this. Oh, uh, there's some movies. And then yeah, so Psycho, oh, Finding Forrester. The Psycho remake with Elephant, Finding Milk. Forrester, kind of famously. Okay, oh, fine. So he's, so he's like used four or five of these that I recommend. Private Idaho, you know, the, the, all these movies. Last he's Days, Danny, Elephant. He's used Danny a couple times then. Milk and Promised Land. Yeah. Ooh, he's yeah. doing Death Note. So The note that oh. eats people. Yes. So he's got, you know, he's got this kind of, he's mostly an indie guy. And this was one of those, like, he, he got a semi-mainstream kind of movie to make. Um, and I just want to point out, it's, I think, he's, you know, I think this movie is really, really well directed. Not just the performances, but the camera placement is very, it's very unobtrusive. It's yeah. not the, look how good I'm directing. That's part of the effortless feeling. Exactly. But it's just very, it's very well done. It's very, you know, it's not, not by the numbers. There's, there's some real care and thought going into it. And it's just, it's, you know, he's just letting it happen and, and not getting in the way of it. And that's, that's a skill right there. Yeah. I wouldn't have noticed that, but, and that's another one, by the way, uh, where it's sort of a similar idea where this will sound like it's coming out of nowhere. I swear to God, it actually does segue, but I have to start somewhere else for this to make sense. People often make jokes along the lines of Danny Elfman has two sounds. Yeah. Dorkman makes this joke all the time yeah, where it's right. like he can do Batman and he can do Oingo Boingo. Yep. And that's the thing that, it's a total sampling bias thing because all the things you ever notice where it's like, hey, Danny Elfman's here are the scores that sound like that, but he scores movies all the time. Yeah. That sound like scores. And this is my go-to example for it yep. where it's like, do you remember how fucking Elfman-y the Goodwill Hunting score was? No, because he could fucking write music. <laughs> he doesn't always have to do a thing with a calliope and like a bear on a unicycle. Well, yeah. It's what, okay. <laughs> well, what people associate with the Elfman sound is Elfman scoring a Tim Burton movie. Right. Yeah. It's, it's more the Tim Burton, Burton aesthetic than the Elfman thing. Right. Right. A, a non-musical yeah. friend, and I'm not a musician either, but a, a non-musical friend of mine once summed up the Elfman 
what you think of as the Elfman style. Every instrument is a percussion instrument. <laughs> That's which I think is like it's like yeah. if it's a violin, it's like bang on that violin. So that's that's what you think of is like everything is being hit with sticks at, at, at staccato speed. But yeah, but yeah. obviously it's when you don't notice that he's not doing that that you don't notice. Yeah. Oh wait, but well, he didn't always do that. He, he yeah, he does it's other a, things. It's a, it's a bummer. And bear in mind, like I really, really, really like Oingo Boingos, and I'm ha- happy to listen to the Batman score. So I'm 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 fine if we actually live in a world where that's the case. Yeah. But it turns out Elfman keeps like doing these scores where he's a composer. And yeah. It's amazing. Well, well according to, uh, I don't know what point in his genesis, but he was well into movie composing before he learned to read and write music. Danny Elfman did not write music. Uh, yeah. yeah. Asterisk. Yeah. I can I can extrapolate on I work for Danny. Okay. And I see him every day. Um, right. he um didn't write music. He'd read music or not he, write it or he, something like that. He can how he explains it is he can, and this has been a thing since before Pee Wee, he can read music as quickly as he can write it. That's how he explains it, meaning that he reads music slowly. Right. Um, but uh, I, I actually was telling Teague about this uh, the other day. Um, so, like, during my time at Danny's, I've been there since about June, um, and I've also done some work for his like forever orchestrator Steve Bartek. Um, and, you know, there's this weird rumor that, like, Steve writes all the music. He's, and, he's the you know, actual guy. Yeah, no, that's, Steve is the Matt true. Damon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> definitely not true. And I, I finally got to see in action how their pairing works. And, I, and it also illustrated why Danny is Danny and, like, why he is, yes, a goddamn genius. Um, and so they were, we were doing a uh, remote scoring session for this one movie um, that's coming up. And so uh, Danny is sitting there and it's remote. So it's basically like a badass Skype session. And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Steve is sitting there with the score and so is Danny. But um, Steve is the one saying, you know, like, uh, do we have the mutes on the violins here? You know, like measure or whatever. And, um, and Danny is kind of, you know, just, just directing the whole thing, but he's not getting hugely into details. And, and there's this thing that happens where the director goes, I want this music retimed right now. Can right you, now. Can you please and, change the, everyone's, um, what everyone's playing and make it longer? Yeah, here? yeah. basically they needed to fill, add a couple, like three, se- three seconds or so. And um, what happened was... Which that's an insane request. Yeah, at that time, orchestra's like, sitting there. Yeah, like, money is yeah. just coming out of your pocket as you wait that's a rough one and um and danny basically rewrote a thing on the spot i mean he but what he he had this little like casio keyboard it's just like a plunky little piano sound and he just kind of is doing and he's kind of coming up with some stuff and blah blah blah. and steve is just sitting there watching him because they've done this a million times there's not a whole lot of language like amadeus (laughs) yeah Yeah, you're talking about it like steve is just like following him without danny saying much he's just kind of following Danny's train of thought. Uh, so, and okay, you guys and, can do this and you guys do that. Yeah, and yeah. And, and they're just kind of having these kind of like mumbles and back and forth thing. And, and Steve is scribbling things and Danny's plunking away. And I'm just like, what the hell are they doing? Like this, <laughs> I, I don't see new music being written right now. And um, You have to look with then, better eyes than that. And then like they kind of like peer over at the music and Danny being a slow reader, just kind of, he looks in and he's like, mm-hmm, and he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. cool. <laughs> and this took maybe two, three minutes. Yeah. And uh, then 
uh, you know, Steve gets on his little headset and he's like, conductor, all right, this is what we're going to do. And he relays it to the conductor and the conductor's like, okay, okay, okay. They go through all the, all the instruments and then they play it and it's perfect. And I was like, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> ah. And, and it's like, that's why Danny is Danny. Yeah. Because it, it, it's for him, it's not like, yes, he is very, very good at writing music and he has a crazy stupidly deep yeah he has a stupidly deep instinct of music and sure i mean yes he can he can absolutely write music i i've i've seen his handwritten notation many times um he he writes music and i've seen his handwritten notation from batman his second score so yeah even back then that like the rumor is just completely wrong so Um, he lied in the interview i read that i was just quoting (laughs) that Which oh I think I know what you're talking about yeah. where yeah he yeah I mean it's I a, mean, it's something like that he was yeah, you know, it yeah. may have been misquoted or misrepresented yeah, but yeah. the idea and I, you know it's just what you're describing is right. what I thought it was is yes you go oh a composer sits there and puts dot 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 no, dot right. dot yeah, dot that that's happen. not necessarily their yeah. process you know their process might be to be at a piano and have someone you know more like Cloud Atlas where you sit there and go it's like this and someone goes okay yeah. and kind of notes it for and you I, the you know. the best way to describe Danny and Steve's relationship is. Danny has these ideas, lots of ideas, yeah, and and he, you know, hasn't had his nose stuck in scorebooks like studying this stuff his whole life. He has an instinctual feel for what should happen dramatically, and he, you know, he'll say he might say, "I want this to be a French horn," and Steve goes, "That's too too high for a French horn." Like little things like that, <laughs> yeah, where Steve go. will wrangle it and make it actually within reality, but like. He only slightly filters the ideas. He, um, the 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 role of an orchestrator is kind of hugely misunderstood as well. Like, like John Williams yeah. has an orchestrator. Everyone thinks of John Williams as writing every yeah, single note. Yeah, it's But he might, if he has one of those like like sort of woodwind flourishes, he might actually just write woodwind, woodwind flourish. flourish. And everyone Figure it out. They fight. Go, yeah. yeah, and it, and. He, they know, like his orchestrator would go, which nowadays would probably be Conrad Pope or something, goes, oh, yeah, I mean, I know exactly yeah. what he means. He, it's, a, it's a shorthand thing. I have, yeah. a, I have a mental picture that may or may not be correct of um, the idea of a composer versus an orchestrator and, and you know, the people who, who affect that as being, in my mind, it feels like the, the relationship between a director and a DP Yes. It's like as if a director yes. would kind of go, I kind of want like this. And yes. the DP goes, okay, I'm going to so get need that lens. this yeah. piece yeah. of glass and there. they're going to put it right. like this and, yeah. and I'm going to shoot it at this F-stop. And, 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 and so also on. many times it might be like director and second unit director. There it might go. be kind of like I that, need a where, thing that kind of does this. Where, like, the yeah. dr- where the director is like, I want this and I want you to use this lens. I just can't be there. You know, right. Like but you know what yeah, I mean? A, a exactly. woodwind flourish. I just need a good woodwind flourish for that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a uh, so yeah. It changes yeah. from composer to, to composer, but yeah, this. I remember when I watched this movie in like freshman year of college. I like like most movies. I was like, oh, I wonder who did that score, and it blew my mind <laughs> that <laughs> it, that it was Danny. Yeah, and um, this, this was, was this was big for him because well like bef- he, well after Batman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah. he because Batman was, 80s, was his yeah. like. Yes, I can do this. Everyone, like, let yeah. me. Like, Before that was like Pee Wee's Playhouse and things right. like yeah. that. Where and, he's like, oh, it's well, sure, you get a yeah. guy like that to do Pee Wee's Playhouse. And, but. Yeah, and, and Batman, the he theme. proved Fun himself. Fact. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, but then this was kind of like, well, you've seen me do my thing, but now I'm going to do this completely other thing. different thing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, since then, I mean, he's David O. Russell's guy. Like, he did. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's great. American Hustle, Danny Elfman. Like, 
Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah. Danny Elfman. Crazy. Absolutely nuts. By, I, it's funny because I come to Danny Elfman from Oingo Boingo first. Yeah. And, and back in the day, Oingo Boingo would would traditionally do a free Halloween concert yep. at USC, uh-huh. um, which I had the privilege to go to one year, uh, sitting in Bovard Auditorium. So in my mind, ever since then, to this day, Danny Elfman in my brain looks like I saw him on stage that night. A terrifying uh, leprechaun. He came on... No, I remember exactly <laughs> what he was wearing. He came on stage. The band started... They opened with Only a Lad. Uh-huh. Um, so he was appropriately... And it was Halloween. So he was appropriately dressed for Only a Lad. He was wearing a bathrobe with six guns strapped on. <laughs> he he, he was guns. That's awesome. He, he has the Hunter S. Thompson relationship yeah. to guns. So he was dressed like a little kid would dress on... You know, I'm a cowboy. You know, he's wearing a bathrobe with six guns. Yeah. And in my... In, He's yeah, never dad. not looked like that Fun in fact. my brain for the rest of time. Fun fact, the, so uh, cool. Steve Bartek, his orchestrator, is the guitarist for Moingo Boingo. There you go. So, and so Steve actually, he did, it, it, they had kind of a similar relationship where like, it was kind of actually like me on Adventures in Faking This with you where like Teague writes the songs and then I just kind of was like, I fleshed them out and kind of turned them into concrete things that exist. Well, um, I write the songs and Barry Manilow writes the songs. Well, we both mean, write well, songs. well he writes well, the songs that makes the whole world sick. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm, I'm focusing on, like, I'm starting with Kentucky and working my way out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, try, I'm, writing the, I'm writing the songs that make Kentucky sick. Establish your foothold in Kentucky. Yeah, you got to start somewhere, and that's a market that I feel yeah. is waiting for some light piano rock. Yeah. You guys. <laughs> anyway, the, the point of this is that Danny Elfman is awesome. Yeah. He is He's, awesome. I, like, I, yeah. like, during my time there, I have had proven to me time and time again, and I'm not just saying this on the off chance that he would hear this and oh, he's if a big i fan. said anything else he's he would fan. fire me no yeah i i uh like every week it's proven to me again and again it's like oh oh he Home is good at oh, this. oh he is oh. he is ridiculous he's, good at, he's yeah. good at this um it's 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 insane it's 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 interesting the you know because obviously i don't do the uh, the uncomposed episodes because i have no reason to do them um so we have just just to show how you can have a totally different point of view it's like you know, we got two two music guys on the panel. Oh God! So they're talking about music, which is good because I have nothing to say about music. To the point where this is like this, and this is just how shocking this might be. But for example, we we're talking about the movie Fury the other day. Oh yeah, in the in the mm. forums, and everyone was like, "Yeah, Fury is a pretty good movie." And, and Stephen Price, FYI, Stephen Price. Fury is a pretty good movie. I watch entire movies. And I am completely unaware of the score. Yeah. I don't hear it. Yeah. I don't realize. I mean, it's well, that doesn't means register doing their job. at all. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever it's doing, it's doing it. Yeah. But like afterwards, Steve was like, I really didn't like the score. I was like, I could not tell you a thing about the yeah. score. The score might have been on a harpsichord. It might have been with French horns. It might have been electronic. I have no memory of what the score of that movie sounded like. Um, there's only a few scores that register. Like, you know, there's the ones that like are in your face, like you know, the Star Wars theme or Back the, to the well, Future. Also, Back to the I future. think I think kinda, like just kind of flicks you. That's not hey, necessarily I think that what a score phenomenon is the reason why so many people associate that bunk, 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 with Danny <laughs> because you only really notice the the thing that the, you notice the, the moment the the time when you're supposed to notice the score. Like so uh, um, so this is a famous story in the movie in this scene that. This is all improv by yeah. uh, oh, by right. Robin Williams, Clearly, yeah. and the the story is so funny that, that when his wife farted and woke herself up. That yeah. you know, the farting story that the camera is shaking because the camera Everyone's operators laughing. themselves are laughing. Yeah. There's a moment yeah. like that in Fight Club, by the way, where the guy is he says you're gonna go start a fight with someone you're gonna lose, and the guy at the mechanic shop is like he keeps spraying the preacher with oh, a hose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've never in your life seen a shot in a David Fincher movie where the camera gets like wiggly all of a sudden <laughs> for no reason. 
that's how funny it was. And the camera op is like laughing, watching this guy just like, he just keeps trying to like fuck with the preacher and like slaps the Bible out of his hand, just spraying with a hose in the face. And you can just see the camera just sort of like just jiggling. Which movie is this? It's Fight Club. Fight it's just oh, it's like a weird Club. scene oh, okay. in Fight Club where it's shot, it's shot a long lens across the street and you're just watching this guy hosing down the, the pavement in yeah. front of his auto body shop. And all of a sudden the preacher walks by and he's like, <laughs> and just like sprays it in his face. And well, this kind of this kind of underscores the the pardon, underscore. Pardon me for you know paraphrasing there. Well, well, um, underscores the the kind of slippery nature of even what a screenwriting Oscar is. <laughs> because yeah, everyone goes yeah that speech with Robin Williams is great. Well, that wasn't in the script. Right. That no one wrote that. You know that was that's why you give that guy a, an acting Oscar instead. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the idea again, this sometimes you know people go, yeah, that script, sure, yeah, I won an Oscar, sure. Um, Alex, that would be aleatoric screenwriting. <laughs> oh, there <laughs> okay. you go. Robin's going to show up and yeah. hey, he's yeah. going to do Robin stuff. Exactly. For page. It's like yeah. it's like okay, it's like like you would hire a studio musician to come in and do the you know the guitar yeah. lick. Like you don't write it down for him. You just yeah, have just, the guy come just in play. and just yeah. do your thing. You know, right. Um, like in, or in uh, you know twenty feet from stardom, where it's like okay, we're gonna get Mary in here in a limo, and she's gonna go rape matter at four in the morning, and it's gonna be the greatest song of all time. <laughs> you know, it's like we don't write that down for her; we just give her an idea and let her go. So, uh, yeah, how does that break? Have there been must there must have been like formal complaints where it's like who they said wrote the script isn't. It's because I know that there's a thing where like depending on like big studio comedies get rewritten by like forty five people before they come out half right, the time. Yeah, right. I wonder how is. I don't even know how the WGA. Do you know how the WGA goes? Oh, yeah. you, you are the top two no, guys. No, it's a cold yeah, whole, whole arbitration. arbitration process. Yeah. Um, huh. It's literally it, it happens all the time. And in fact, now that I'm in the WGA, I think I think you can I think you can volunteer to go. I am willing to be an arbitrator. Um, and just for the experience of it, I'm kind of been thinking about doing it. Although it sounds like hellish, um, because what happens is it sounds, it sounds like, like a great way to make enemies. Like well, well, it's huh. it's anonymous. That's oh, that's okay, one of the reasons okay. they do it that way is because you don't it's like you jury know. duty for writers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's anonymous. Not only is it anonymous, it's anonymous both ways. It's it's what you get if you say I will be a, a WGA arbitrator is when there's a, a movie that's in dispute, you will get. Literally every version of every goddamn version that there is that everyone is submitting to go. This is why I deserve, you know, X. Um, and the reason credits are important is because the credits determine the residuals. Yeah. So, so no one goes to arbitration over, you know, deathbed, deathbed. You know, everyone goes to arbitration over, you know, the million dollar money maker and goes, I wrote that too. I need to, I need to get some residuals. <laughs> so that's when arbitration happens. Mm. Um, some people like script doctors. Will happily go. No, I, you know, I, I put in the joke about the thing, and I got paid fifty thousand dollars, and I'm good. I'm not right. gonna gonna give you. That's a hard what time. I. That's what I was hired for. Exactly. And I did I'm, my job. I'm and fine. I'm, I'm I, I can't take credit for the fact that this movie. I just put in one joke. They paid me, and I put in a joke, and they kept it, and that's I'm out. But other people go. No, no, my draft because these films get extensively rewritten. So what happens in arbitration is every version that everyone says this is my version gets submitted to a panel of readers. Um who have to read every single one of them, but they're not, they're not named. It's, it's, this is writer A's, this is what writer A did. This is their first mm-hmm. draft, this is their second draft, this is their third draft. Then writer B took over. Now, you probably can tell from context who writer A and B is, but it's supposed to be semi-anonymous. Um, and then you, as the arbitrator, to avoid pressure, et cetera, et cetera, same argument as the, the, the ratings board, um, you as an arbitrator are, you know, it's not like the writers go, oh yeah, Trey's totally reading all your scripts and that, you know, so that way they're going to, they, they don't invite you out to dinner and go, hey, so, yeah. so, and it's just literally about, okay, I read all this guy's drafts, I read all this guy's drafts, I looked at the final film and I think, 
I would say the film is about 80% this guy and only about 20% of her. Huh. And, and, but they both, so I'm going to say this, this person should get the story credit, but this person really did the writing that ended up being the movie, blah, blah, blah. And that's, I mean, we've brought it up before, but that's also the, the weirdo factoid about that is the difference between and and an ampersand. Yeah. It goes in the same conversation where, like I said, we mentioned it before, but in case you missed whatever episode that was, when you see two writers credited with the word and between them, they were a team. No, no, I'm backwards. Ampersand, they, is ampersand, ampersand is they were a team. Terry, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio have an ampersand between them. Yes. they work on scripts together. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon have an ampersand. So you saw exactly. The but, but if you when saw it says, ben, when it says Ted Elliott and A and D Brian Finifter, well, you know who the fuck well, wrote that script. You know who fixed that fucking That's script right. then? That, means, that was a yeah. but they were in a room together. It. They may have never met before. So that's, you know, and that's often, you know, it's a contentious process. Some, you know, people don't like the results of it. People don't go, I, I didn't like that. But it's, it's done <coughs> as, as much as anything can be done when humans are involved. It's attempted to be as fair as possible and unobjective right. and, and, and objective and, and to say, okay, no, I mean, just face value, not like, you know, the fact that I know this guy screwed your wife. <laughs> just looking at the words on the page. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I feel like you didn't really author that much. I know this he fucked your wife. I know he fucked your wife repeatedly on the Internet, yeah. but I think he but, wrote most of but, Paddington but, better. But I can't fix that here. Yeah. That's not my job here. So anyway, and, so and he did a great job writing Paddington so that's, Bear. That's the process. And it's funny that writing has that. And I don't you know. It's not like directing arbitration where they can go. No, look, look Steven Spielberg really directed Poltergeist because mm. for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to come up, uh, you know, the, as, a, as a problem, because if your name is the director, I mean, if your name is. Because directors don't get shared credit, that's why. Yeah, uh, that's 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 I guess I answer my own. There's question. no story by for a second. Yeah, there's guy, no the like directed by directed by this guy and that guy and that guy unless it happened like Gone with the Wind has three directors and, and or Wizard of Oz. Yeah, Wizard of Oz, but I don't but think three are Wizard credited. Wizard of Oz only has, but I don't think credit. all three are credited yeah. for Wizard of Oz. Victor Fleming. Victor Fleming. So worked he by the way directed <laughs> both of those movies. Yeah, the same guys directed both both Gone yeah, with yeah. the Wind and you know Selznick's uh, Boys. So, yeah. so just for the record, the Writers Guild of America actually has a better process for compromise and moderation than the United States Congress. Yes, basically. That's, that's what we're saying here. Um, so I don't know if there was any dispute over this. I don't think there was uh, that I'm aware of. Uh, I could look it up. But uh, sometimes there's heavily disputed, sometimes there's not. But in the end, I don't think there's – they don't share credit. I mean, they're, they're, they're the only ones who – they got the Oscar. Anyone else who it was officially credited would have also gotten that Oscar, and I don't think anyone else was. So, yeah, that's right. Whether there was, whether you know, they they, however it happened, um, and I believe that I was just. Well, my point was that even then, you can tell how much you know, there's many many sections of this movie are improvised. So, when you go, what a great script that was. It's like, but yeah, but you are just just the nature of the beast that the you know the actors. There's a lot that the actors brought to it. There's a lot that the director brought to it. There's a lot that the director and the editor brought to it in terms of like, yeah, we've got 10 miles of, of Affleck, you know, riffing with his brother. Let's use this, this, and this, none of which was in the script. Let's use this instead of the scene that was in the script that we shot as written. Yeah. You know, you, you, there's, there's no, if you want to like really get into this whole arbitration, thing, just take the lid off and see the whole process. You know, again, you just come back to it's a, it's a, it's a collaborative thing, and it's it's weird that we have to try and compartmentalize some of the making of this into specific categories because when money's involved, this is how it is. It's a weird little fun fact here, by the way. They keep cutting to shots from the game. Um, up until this point, or at least I don't think it's the case anymore, but at this time, the MLB would not let you use their likeness or anything. No images, no logos, no Certainly games. Certainly use their logo. Yeah. Uh, in R-rated films. 
Yeah. Just like car, like you would still have to ask for your PG thirteen movies, but the answer would be no for R rated movies. And they one of the producers was talking in that oral history that I saw about how like he had to. It was crazy because he'd be like, "Guys, please, for the love of God, can we, okay, can we can we show you the movie and you'll get it exactly why we yeah. and, and all that stuff." And eventually, it got to the point where Gus Van Sant did not have permission to plan and shoot the movie with the intention of having that those game footage. He just said, "No, go ahead and shoot it. Just, just do it." And uh, it, maybe it was Gus, or maybe it was uh, Reiner, an, or, an or one of the Weinstein talking. guys. But but someone was like, "Just go ahead and shoot it," with the assumption being like, if it still works out that we can't use it. I, I just gave you permission to pay for VFX people to paint it all out. But there's like Red Sox logos on hats all through the movie and there's shots of the games here. All that stuff was done where it's like, just go. Just go for it. But they couldn't have they couldn't have painted it they out. Wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been able to paint then. it out then. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. That was easier yeah. to ask for permission or forgiveness. Or forgiveness yeah. Yeah. Again, that's, that's just Van Sant going, ah, fuck it. Yeah. In the indie sensibility of like, yeah, just do it. So, yeah. I, I was stylistically... Um, to me, it was a little off-putting, actually. It happened that, only twice that it happens that I can think of is there's that where it suddenly cuts to those shots of the actual game going on. It's and then intrusive. And then there's later when Damon is flashing back to his abusive stepfather. There's some, like, flash, flash, flash. Oh, yeah, and, like, the monster movie coming up the stairs yeah. shots. Yeah, and it's kind of like, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's not a motif to the whole movie. It's not like, and then, you know, Will went into a daze and he saw, you know, he visualized things. So it's kind of, it's kind of strange that, you know, the, that interesting choice that they're those, they just appear there in those moments. I, I didn't feel like they really brought anything to the movie. Um, and, you know, it's a choice. It's like, all right, well, that was the choice that they made. But uh, I, I was kind of like puzzled by it and kind of like, yeah, now that you mention it, I agree with you. Kind of comes out of nowhere and doesn't, you know, it's not a motif that repeats. It's just like, yeah, throw in some you know, shots of the actual game there. Okay, I do like that there is a visual sort of pattern he sets with uh, reflections of Will and Will's looking at himself in the mirror and then the title sequences and everything and also the my dad is a scary monster coming up the stairs shots are all these weird the kaleidoscope the kaleidoscope effect, like, yeah. like the, the reflections have been broken into a million little pieces sort of things and I like the sort of mm-hmm. the visual thing they're doing there with the I get it you guys although the, I even the first time I saw this and it's still a thing I still don't exactly understand the the instinct that brought the cutting two shots of the game into the conversation at all, much less like in the final edit, we left it there. Like I would have been like, maybe, maybe someone had that idea, but then they decided not to do it. It's so weird. And so it seems out of place to me that they just keep cutting to the real game, just like footage of the games where it's like, what does that actually bring? If it's a conversation, Robin Williams is telling a story about a game that really happened. The fact that it's a real game is actually incidental. Yeah, like he could be. Well, it could be a just no, movie it dialogue. It doesn't matter. It's, it could be movie. Di- it could be. He could be taking. He could be talking about a fucking pod race. It's the, the point of the <laughs> yeah. story is that he didn't go to a big game. Well, it's underscoring the feeling that he was there, and that that increases the the gut punch uh, of oh, I was I wasn't even fucking there. Oh, okay, that's, 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 and that's I did I did get that. I, yeah. I, I okay. did have that effect. Right, I will I say. And also, I don't know. Cutting to the. I can't even explain it. The sentence is going to suck. But cutting to the film just has a really distinct feel. I mean, uh, cutting to the game has a really distinct sort of just like... It's draw, uh, it's, it's, it it's, feels like it's moving you. It's the type of thing... I don't have a it word feels like for it's, it's it. Put, it's pulling your geography from the therapy room to... I'm at a baseball stadium. I mean, it, yeah. it's Which a, it's actually, that cool, would serve the point that they were just trying to... It's a to, cool forward momentum sort of thing. You know, it's like... It's... it's, it's it's telling kind of you. It's telling thing. you that we're about it's, to go somewhere yeah. else. It's just an extra yeah. trick to make you feel yeah. like you're at the game yeah. above and beyond Williams just well, telling I, you the story. And I, and I, it does. It does. You're right. I'll agree that it does serve the function that, that it's. It's kind of like they're sort of 
the context that I get from it is that you know they're they're creating the shared experience of like yeah 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 even though right. it turns out neither one of them was physically there yeah. but it's such a, a, a you know such an ingrained thing this amazing game that you know just talking about it they both are sort of creating that reality between themselves even though neither one of them right. was, was physically there which is great but then especially because that the punchline of that oh I didn't go because I had to see about a girl is the punchline of the whole movie too that, that that's yep. the echo of right, the, yeah. the whole yeah. thing that's the yeah. lesson is just go yeah just go give it a shot you know you, you, you take the shot or you never know you never know <laughs> um, that, that if okay if you're gonna you know make that much of a little bo- little motif about this that moment right i f- feel like i would have liked to have seen an echo of that when he has the revelation like no i need to go see about the girl instead ah, you know it's like if, if you if you're going to plant that flag then yeah. then maybe just echo it a little bit later uh, yeah, but i could see how that could also be on I, the nose. I wouldn't like that I, I that, feel like that the, would get a little bit too like you know how nolan hits you over the head with those like the line that shows up a thousand times in the movie sort of thing yeah. sure. i think it would feel like that where it's like eh. i think you well, could actually because get away. you are an old man filled with uh, regret uh, yeah yeah that's sort of, it's like jesus christ <laughs> yeah um, and i and again it's again you never know and it's like it's like as, yeah. as phil tippett always like to say how many how many prunes is too many well when you put in one too many you'll know yeah that you yeah, had one too many so it's like it. but yeah. i feel i just feel like that was a nice little thing the idea of like because that's so core to their relationship, their dynamic, and the point of the movie, basically, which is like, you know, live your life. It's happening right now. Right. You know, just get out there and take the opportunities that are available because otherwise you're just going to be an old fucking bricklayer who never did anything. An old man filled with regret. Filled with regret. <laughs> um, it's not your fault. You know, that it sort of builds that. But, you know, the fact that it's it, it, right. it comes encapsulated in this the shared joy and love of like, oh yeah, that was amazing. But you know what was more amazing? I met my wife that night. You know, that that, that yeah, sort of is yeah. the core of the movie. Yeah. Feels like I would I, see, it I, needed I, to have some kind of response. Yeah. Although I don't I, yeah. I hate connect the dots like bang, bang, yeah, bang, yeah. bang, bang. So I, I feel just, the exact same instinct you're feeling. I almost wonder if the way to do that is in the therapy session, you don't see video of it. They do it entirely with soundtrack choices. So like when like Robin Williams like pantomimes that they hit the ball, you actually hear like a and yeah. it's all soundtrack shit that's like playing up and you kind of get like I see what we're doing that, here that would have been cool as opposed yeah. to yeah. just cutting to the actual VHS that, that could have worked and then you could have easily no matter what ends up being the right sound effects to have <laughs> that's an easier thing to mirror yeah. than like at the end of the movie we're gonna cut to the VHS footage of mini driver on a Greyhound bus I don't know yeah. <laughs> whatever it I is it, there's also a, there's also again a for me a, in, totally un, unrelated to how it's directed or the, the stylistic choices the idea of the parallel isn't quite there, and again, you know, it's it's always it's always a choice. It's always a dichotomy of like, well, sometimes you don't want things to rhyme too much, and sometimes mm-hmm. you go, well, gee, it would be nice if that setup had a payoff to it. I mean, there's a there's a weird gray area where you never quite know. Right. But the idea of like, if the core of that that idea, regardless of whether there's footage of Major League Baseball in it or not, the core of the idea is. Yes, there was this, you know, regular work a day at, you know, the guy I was at the time. I thought the greatest achievement I could do in my life would be to go to that game. And I could have gone to that game. But then I suddenly realized there might be something else I would rather do instead. And I'm so glad I made that choice. In the story of how my priorities change. Exactly. And overnight and I, you know, and and suddenly you can be a different person that you never knew you would be just instantly. That's fine, except for the parallel doesn't. The parallel isn't quite there because Matt Damon, it isn't his dream to like do the job for the NSA or whatever. He reluctantly finally goes, all right. But it's not like he throws away the, yeah, the thing the he really serious. wanted. Yeah. 
or finally realize like, no, this is awesome and this will set me up for life. The shallow thing he thinks he wants yeah. for the deep thing. He There's didn't no he sort wanted. of like, I'm not yeah. going to be that guy anymore. Yeah. Or I'm not going to. Other be- than going to his dead end job, which he didn't like. I anyway. thought I wanted to be that guy, but instead I want to be this guy now. Yeah. Um, the echo isn't quite there. Um, but that being said, I, I do like in general the way in the, the general messiness of the contrasting and the fact that they get into the the get into it much more than i think a modern movie would uh, a more recent movie this is this is a modern jack movie. nicholson wait no <laughs> yeah so is that jack nicholson? So scott adsit <laughs> yeah yeah but um that but the idea just, what i like is the fact that it it has these two guys robin williams and stalin skarsgård who have been basically ben affleck and matt damon for 20 years 30 years they have a whole friendship history that's full of ups yeah. and downs and pitfalls and resentments and you know but they still are buds and they still hang in but they have some there's some baggage and there's some stuff um and the way that it kind of contrasts like this is what old men friendships are like and when you've got you know you've been through these things and you you know one person went this way one person went that way and you know some things happened and and there's resentments and so on um contrasted with with Affleck and, and Damon and, and Affleck going, you know, if you're still here in 20 years, I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah. Um, I like that the, the, those things kind of build back and forth and not in a clean way, but yeah, in it's, the, it's in, almost lyrical. But in the messy kind they of rhyme, this is, this is what human interaction is like. You know, it's like this is kind of what these guys have been doing for 30 years as mm-hmm. friends. And this is what these guys are doing as, you know, as as younger friends um, and the many ways that that can manifest itself. You know, the fact that these guys can bicker and argue and, and all. But they're still God damn it. They're still friends at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, I, you resent me. No, I don't resent you. I resent the fact that you think I resent you. Ah, fuck you. It's like, you're, you're, I'm successful. Yeah, you think you're successful. I got married. What do you got? You know, it's like that's all that's speaking as an old man filled with regret. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's all true. It's all, you know, it's like you look at young guys going, oh, God, if only if I could just fucking go, I'm just going to save you so much time. Don't do that. You should do that instead. And this movie is about that. It's mm-hmm. about, you know, an older guy going, look, seriously. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what to do, but seriously, this is what you should do. Someone needs to tell you this fucking baseball story. Yeah, I'm just going to tell you this baseball story and see where it goes. And so the and, how and, many how many South Boston bartenders do you think know who Jonas Salk is? Jonas Salk, if you're if you're over the age of anything, yeah. Jonas Salk is huge. Is it an age thing more? Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. Jonas Salk is like I could die of polio. I'm not going to die of polio anymore. Okay. Who did that, Jonas Salk? Thank you. Thank that, you, Jonas. Salk. Yeah, yeah, everyone knows who Jonas Salk is if you were born in the '50s. He, yeah, he played. Uh, I just feel like if I went to any random bar now, but maybe it's more of a generation. You'd have to thing. ask a guy that old in the nineties, right? He right. would know who Jonas Salk is. Damn it! I was trying to make a Peter Falk joke, and I forgot the yeah, fucking just, role he played. And, then, and instead, there's just five seconds of silence. Just, that will I know, dead air. Just dead air. Yeah. Just let's just sit here and think about what you've done. My joke wasn't going to be good do. in the first place, and then I just sacrificed five seconds for it. it was, <laughs> really, this has been a concatenated failure. Wonderful. That was a great use of that word. Thank you. I thought so too. Okay. I actually don't did, know what that word means. Did I make up for it? It's a word that shows up in math and programming a lot. It's where you combine all the uh, all the mathematical processes that are going to happen in stack A with all the mathematical processes that are going to happen in stack B. Just those are looking at the result sort of thing and, and putting all that math in one pile as opposed to having it happen in two different places is the best I can do off the top of the my net. head. It's sort of like that. Yeah. So it's like you add them. Basically, <laughs> like it's fancy adding. It's yeah, it's it shows up. I know it as a VFX thing. Like, for instance, if Phi is listening to this, she's screaming at how close but nowhere near close that definition was. It shows up in VFX a lot where it's like if I have a 
a movement that's happening in a comp over here, and then that later goes into a different comp that's also stabilized, the movement that the resulting change I made is now moving from two different things at once, you can concatenate that movement and make a null that's just doing exactly what the ultimate movement was. And that would be the concatenated movement. So it's just, it's, it's... It's basically sum, equal sum. Right. In Excel language, it would just be the equal sum version of the math. But it's some values and not all values, so that when it translates over, when there's this extra factor that's being added in, it's not taking in that extra factor and right. messing up the addition. That's how I understand it. I mean, I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how much of a, it's, how it's, how much of it, it's used in VFX is actually euphemistic because right. I know it actually has real mathematical meaning, but that's how it's used in well, the it's VFX. Like a, I like, it's like a lot of things in terms in math and science have very precise technical definitions and they kind of seep out into other contexts in which the definitions are not nearly as precise. Right. Gets and that concludes our math discussion uh, for this commentary. Singularity. <laughs> singularity is a great example, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Singularity is something that, like, as much as it does exist in the in the common uh, cultural context, just means oh, this the day everything changed, future magic change. Yeah, yeah. but within people who are actually working on the singularity uh, or working in aspects related to the singularity, like artificial intelligence, and the day when, like, for for certain in certain contexts, the singularity has a very precise technical definition of the day we can create an artificial intelligence that has a general intelligence equivalent or superior to a human being. And with the day that comes, then... Well, there's also... I mean, the word that, singularity appears in, like, nine different fields. Yeah. And it's sort of, yeah. like, euphemistically it's, the same thing in all the fields. The concept has been broadened. Right, yeah, to, the broadened. It, it's, 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 uh, it's sort of the tipping point of X. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's, Is it Bryn? Who is it? Not Bryn. That's Google. Uh, David Bryn, not Sergey Bryn. Uh, sci-fi writer, right? The sci-fi writer. Some, the dude who... life, But also immortals. a physicist... Well, there's, you know, a uh, also a physicist who's coined the term singularity, and I can't think uh, of the guy's name. Uh, at I'll the come up with it in a second. Yeah. It's, it's not Heinlein because he's no, 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 it's, it's Kurtzweil. 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 Thank you. Yes. yes. I don't know why those guys are next to each other in my head. There's a third Kurtzweil. guy there. It's John Candy. I don't know why it's those three guys. <laughs> <laughs> he's a mog, half it's man, just, half dog. Yeah. And he's right there with Kurtzweil. somehow he's in the <laughs> pantheon there. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I try to clump them together. I don't know why he got the Nobel Prize, but I know he did. John Candy, man. John Candy. Yeah. Kurtzweil. Kurtzweil's thing is eventually. The, his his uh, imagined in, inevitable outcome is that eventually medicine will get so good that someone who's born will their life will be extended a lot just by the medicine at the time, but they'll live so long that over the course of living longer, medicine gets better until the point where the 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 part where you die because the medicine can't keep you alive anymore moves away farther than you're approaching your own death and you just never die. And that would be the singularity. It's when you push it down the hill, and it just the hill never stops. And then be, the that's the conclusion. Obviously, yeah, the conclusion obviously is that you become functionally immortal. There's at that a point. there's a documentary coming out called The Immortalists, which is about the fact that that claiming that that quote unquote singularity is is it's, close there, enough. There are people who think it's yeah. close. Yeah, and it's so it's a documentary. Aubrey about that. Aubrey de Grey is one of the big people working on that. Um, God, he looks like Jesus. He's yeah, yeah that fellow. Yeah, he's I, in the documentary. I met him once, yeah. uh, and Aubrey de Grey. Aubrey de Grey. He's uh, yeah. It's it's hard, like I'm trying not to judge him by his appearance, but he's just a very interesting looking individual. Well, like, you are you sure you're this uh, 
you know, leading really research, guy, or are you a guy in a cabin in I'm Colorado? I'm not really, no, I'm just making it up. Yeah. Are you 40 and look like Gandalf, or are you actually 60? Like, yeah. I can't, yeah. I can't tell. Yeah, he's kind of ageless. Yeah. Now, here's, again, the, the, back to the movie briefly about uh, being smart, being smart, being smart, wicked, wicked smart. smart. Um, you know, again, it's like, okay, also organic chemistry, which is, you know, there's some mathematical littleness to it, but still, again, it's like, you know, Jesus, you know, if he... This movie was like one step away from him sitting down at the piano and like busting out a concerto. They're, they're fucking talking about a piano. Yeah, right now. exactly. Yeah. He can, you know. Like, uh, I always he, sort of thought of it as being a thing where like he is just incredibly intelligent and happens to have a great memory, and that's sort of what's going on more than anything else. Like his which, his, that's, his, his math thing is just synthesized, and that would explain everything but the math. Yeah, exactly. His math thing is he he synthesizes new ideas with math and comes up with like shortcuts and new ways of doing things, which maybe if that's by itself, that's fine. But like the memory thing and the incredibly smart. You'd have to be really, really incredibly smart to do the math thing at all. You could actually lower the threshold there and get the rest of the movie with very smart guy and like he doesn't forget things once yeah. he learns them. Well, yeah, but see, the, the problem is that you, know, you can be a savant. You can be functionally illiterate on every other level and be amazing at math because just the brain function yeah. gets you there. Um, and that's what they kind of talk about here. He's like, he's like, he hasn't studied math so much as he just gets, gets it, it. Yeah. which is like, okay, that's fine. But then the fact that he can quote chapter and verse about, you know, the, Wood. the economical history of, of, the, of New England is like, that's a totally different kind of genius skill and usually not one that comes yeah. in one package, right. you know? Uh, so I just think they were, just, it was a little too, too, uh, you know, magic beanie of what kind of a genius he is. <gasps> You know, uh, I like the expression "magic beanie." Just magic, the hat. He's wearing a magic beanie. He's wearing a magic beanie. He's from Boston. I can think. Yeah, yeah magic. He's a magic beaner. So he's a magic beaner. Ah, we finally oh. found the joke for the show. So um, I just think I think that's a little too. I mean, I think it's a little too. It's a bridge too far. Simple about understanding what a genius is. That a genius is not a guy who like I can do anything that smart people can do. It's like no, there's 89 different ways of being a smart person, and you can't actually be all of them. So the idea that you know, if it would have been a little stronger, you know, like like this movie needs my help to, you know, maybe win an Oscar someday. But uh, for me personally, <laughs> uh, you know, if this movie had been just a little better, it might have actually got some attention. Um, These people might have gone on to do something with their lives. It's a real shame about Goodwill Hunting. I'm just saying, it's like it's like even you know, if William Goldman said, "No, I did not write Goodwill Hunting. Stop saying so." I swear, I did. You know, I just I talked to them like I talked to everybody about, hey, maybe this, but you know, I didn't I didn't write Goodwill Hunting. Blah blah. But as William Goldman himself will also say. You know, Hollywood also loves it so much. Once, if you can make it through the nomination threshold to the point where the General Academy body is going to decide if you get an Oscar, the General Academy body, they love it when actors do stuff that's not acting. They love it when actors direct a movie, name it. Every time an actor manages to direct a movie and get nominated for an Oscar, boom, pretty much guaranteed. (laughs) Redford directed a movie, that's adorable, give him an Oscar. (laughs) Costner directed, oh, sweetie, here's your Oscar. It's like, it's not not qualification, it's, oh, that's so great. They're so great on screen, but they're also great off screen. So it's like... When they have the opportunity to give someone an Oscar for something they didn't do. Exactly. So so this, I, I, I agree that this is a case where well since titanic wasn't nominated what the hell are we going to give this oscar to oh these two young guys wrote it and act that's adorable give them the oscar i don't like the one about the porn with burt reynolds that was that was kind of made me that, feel that was weird. a little dirty yeah but uh, as far as what was a stronger script uh, i would go with boogie nights myself but um you know that's how it is anyway the the point i was getting at would be that i would I think this for me this would have been stronger if they had like chosen a kind of genius for him to be and have him not be the other kinds of genius as well. Yeah. Um 
And it, actually, really, the math is kind of a MacGuffin. The, the math, the only thing about the math is... It's the, demonstrable. The math is the thing that can instantly, by being smart, can pull you out of your shithole Boston town and, and give you a, a, an amazing career. Right. I mean, there's not... What other kind of geniuses can you be? <laughs> Hairdressing? Yes, exactly. So, so okay. So, it's like, okay, he's a math genius. He's a math genius. He's got a weird quirk. Otherwise, he's just a regular, you know... Douchebag. Bare-knuckle scrabbler yeah. from the streets of Boston. But he's just got this one weird quirk where he can, he can do math. Okay. But then he shouldn't... You know, he shouldn't be the guy who can also like, do the overall wonderkind. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if, if he was just smart enough to, at a young age, teach himself how to speed read, then it all can really just flow from there, right? Well, but except the math. You can't well, just, yeah. you, can't, That's true. Re- you can't learn to be a math genius from reading a math book. You, you have right. to be You can't a be creative genius. in math. Yeah. And invent calculus like Isaac Newton did, unless you're yeah. fucking good just at math. Just like, it's, it's very, like, they draw the parallel, and it's true. It's like, it's like music. It's like, you can, as people say, you can, you can study music, and you can become a musician. Uh-huh. But to become a great musician, there's something that has to be there from the get-go. Yeah. You know, you can, I could sit at a piano for the next 10 years and force myself to learn to play the piano, but I would never be a musical genius. Yeah, that's why you hire Alex. You can orchestrate exactly. it for you. So there you go. Um, well, I mean, ah. you could if you spend the and the ten thousand hours thing is is bullshit. But you know, if you spend the ten thousand hours to become yeah, you will the, get the genius. You'll certainly get it. proficient yeah. at something, anything. Yeah. But you know, it's what what makes more sense is the reverse. Is when Elfman is like Elfman didn't you know couldn't play the piano or whatever much at all, but he had the brain that could go, it's like this. And however he could express that mm-hmm. and have someone translate that into into the music. That's you know that's how the result happens as opposed to I mean I could learn to compose Which makes me music wonder, like, but everyone would go boy what are, you know I, I would be Salieri I would you know I would just be the guy who just like yeah boom 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 like that which makes me wonder like if there is such a thing and there clearly is as, as untapped human potential where it's like I had no idea that Will was accidentally fucking perfect at coming up with new ways to solve in, incredibly impossible math problems. What if Will didn't notice it either, and like that was a totally unused resource? He was just a janitor. And if that was the case, that means that like you, us, any of us could be like excellent at something fucking weird. We we could all be make be like the next great Formula One driver, except mm-hmm. none of us ever actually were around racing enough to be like, I'm gonna actually try to drive a Formula One car. And it's like, holy fucking shit, that guy invented the sport. That's how good he is. It's mm-hmm. like we have, I, like I'm incredibly good at I don't know. Uh, fucking metallurgy, but yeah, I will never know that. So the world is is deprived of my genius. That's what I'm saying. Mm. Well, it could just be a thing. Where it's like we're some one of us is just incredibly good at fucking scrimshaw, but we never knew it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we could have been that the scrimshaw. That would have been it. That right. would have been the Hopefully thing. Hopefully, something a little more useful in the modern day. But <laughs> yeah. but that, it's it's a it's mime. A, it's a fair point, and it's it's actually really important that for that reason that you try things that you go out of your comfort zone. You I think people hit a certain age and they. They, they have those sort of things, like a, a small set of things that they tried in the beginning, and then at some a certain point you just stop. And I think it's important to, to keep doing it, because you, you never know when you're, when something is going to click for you. And that guy could have been a great haberdasher, and yet, never asked, never found out, never made a hat, too late. <laughs> His haberdashery hopes were dashed. So, I mean, for your example, it, it taps on, oh, you use McLaurin, and... and, and Will says, I don't know what that is. So the idea is implied that he's not only is he solving this problem, he's solving other problems on the way without realizing that they're, you know, that they're actual proofs that have already been established. So, again, it's like if he's that good, okay. But 
Yeah, I see what you're saying. You know, yeah. it's like it's and I, I that just, said he I could just, be this good at math and then only a little bit like not quite as good as everything else. Like if no. he could, if he didn't know the whole Gordon Wood thing. Exactly. Well, that, that would and to me, I think he's that would, smart, but he's not that like, would tie in thematically with what the movie is saying. It's just it made him too good at everything else. But Robin Williams says, yeah, you got that from a book, but you didn't get that from your life. Yeah. Right. It's like, you know, you know that blah, 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 but you don't know what the Sistine Chapel smells like. You don't know this. You don't know what it's like to really be in love. You don't know this stuff. Right. I mean, that's all in there. But I think it needs to be he's like his his I know stuff would be a shield and would have more holes in it than it has in this movie. It's like you 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 get that from a book and that like it should be the other way around. Like he should have kind of been at least taken a at least a little bit of a hit against, you know, the, the, the guy at the bar. Bag, yeah. Like the guy like the guy at the bar could be like, oh, I see. So you just read John Wood. Right. Because you haven't read the new edition of Yada Yada, in which case that's been totally discredited and have, you know, have that rock him back a little bit like oh fuck you know oh shit so but yes the idea that you know that that he's always invincible when it comes to being wicked smart yeah is is a little too pat and a little too easy i think and and just doesn't is not how being wicked smart works i'm afraid man academia freaks me out man academia just in general and like also macadamia both macadamia macadamia and academia both free well, darn macadamia, tasty academia people can like just suddenly <coughs> die eating macadamia that's okay different different thing whatever academia just like the the prototypical movie version of what college is and like university in baston and like this and the guy and he's got a weird sycophant and the shit and there's a giant book in that room i don't know what's in that book <laughs> so like like it's just weird it's like the way old churches sort of make you feel where it's like this is beautiful and kind of creepy like i don't feel good here I have that same vibe with like universities. It's just it was weird. I never a, went to a, I never a, went to college. That's probably yeah. why. Like I I just never spent time around it, so it lost its weird. Mystique. It's just a very specific culture that none of us. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing I don't know about uh, Alex here, but uh, you know that none of us have. People live their lives in that world in yeah. that culture, yeah. like yeah. publishing, and, and we don't. You yeah. know, and so it's just. And but just like the movie business is this impenetrable mystery, and we're like, no, it's pretty straightforward. It's, it's no, it's, it's just, insane. What we do is it's an insane business we work in. But yeah. you know, I the people. I know who are in that sort of I'm going for my second PhD and they live right. in that world and it is it's a very, <laughs> my when I hear about it is like God that just sounds awful it sounds like Hogwarts deal, yeah. Yeah. Like there's weird mysteries deal with that all day long the stairways move and shit at Boston I'm telling you <laughs> yeah oh yeah, yeah there's like, the paintings are alive yeah, at Professor MIT. Emeritus is moving around on the bathroom while yeah, he's painted there he's, there's ghosts it's really creepy Yep. Now this scene, for example, I think they just needed obviously something to happen in between other things. But wow, I could I could have so lived without this conversation about uh, jerking off in a baseball fucking glove fucking in your glove. mom's room. I don't even know. Could you you didn't have any other scene that could fill this hole? <laughs> Sorry, <Pardon> the expression. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> didn't you have anything else you could put in this hole? I don't have a VCR in my house. Hey, so and it's all played in like a weird like just one. Medium and it's it's the again it's just, they're riffing and that's fine and that's all good but I you know again it doesn't have that. it doesn't have a reason to exist it doesn't have like Matt Damon Matt Damon going wow I'm kind of hanging with a bunch of assholes maybe I need a different life yeah, just the, the, the emotional the, beat the hint of that so, so it just feels like it was an improv that could have happened anywhere at any time that's un- yeah. and they just chose to put it in that moment in the movie here's the big scene with the NSA speech yeah. that's the thing about this movie that I think we I just put my finger on now which is one of the odd things about the vibe of Good Bill Hunting. Uh, is that on one hand it's the river rock thing where it's like this script has been polished down to the point where it's like it's it's predictably perfect it's fine yet for the exact same thing it it feels it often feels incredibly like winged and ad-libbed like yep. there's for a movie that feels simultaneously incredibly structured and perfect and like inevitable 
like the melody to imagine or something like that. It's like, yep, that's just been waiting to happen. Good Will Hunting has been written in the cliffs for thousands of years that one day someone will make a movie like Good Will Hunting. That's the plot. It's perfect. Here. Also has this constant feeling of being improv and like a little thrown together and like a weird choice. Like really, that's a weird choice for yeah. you to throw together. And it's, it's, the, it's the, the interplay between it being so pat and also so weird and cavalier it's, it, it makes it, I think that's probably what adds to the effortlessness feeling of it is that yeah. as opposed to being Avatar where it's like someone scrubbed the shit out of this movie until it was exactly what it needed to be it's like it's, it's effortlessly good and you can see there's weird choices they're making and like ad-libbed moments and stuff like that it's like they must have just like just improvised the entire movie and it's accidentally perfect that's amazing like it has that sort of a vibe I don't know <laughs> whatever yeah and I, and I like that about that I, I, I like that it you know again it's always fine line and we keep going I wish I had more structure here but I'm so glad that it's kind of kind of loose and kind of there are some <laughs> some rough edges on the river rock still you know that there's still yeah. some <laughs> not everything is connected not everything is perfect but it feels like maybe a couple of threads could have got tied together a little bit more but um, you know the core of it is there and it, we're, we're talking about details yeah. I mean it's overall it's like I said other than a slow start <laughs> You know, it's 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 all you know. Ha ha, two fifty a gallon. Yeah. That's yeah. talking about two fifty is the high end. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. It's nuts. So and you could also see, like, yeah, I can imagine this this kid's the one going to go on and make a, a movie about fracking twenty years later. I can totally get it. Yep. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah he did. It it's not a bad movie. Either. Elysium, right? It's a good movie. Yeah, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there are, Edge of Tomorrow. Is something what else. It was. Um, and was that a some another indie type person directed that? I don't think it was Van Sant, but it was something like that. Um, mm. Another another one of those. Oh, I see. This guy's oh, Matt Damon wants to do the movie, so the the indie guy gets to direct it. Uh, but uh, yeah, this kind of like the speech is a little bit like okay. <laughs> it's like it's like wait. So he's now he's like that's it. Also, didn't quite ring true for me. It's like and he's a little too perfect. It's like oh, and he's also a political activist that he thinks about these things. You know, that was a great cut. You know, in these yeah, the, yeah that the, was the, fantastic. Where, where yeah. you, you didn't notice he's actually been sitting yeah. there. Yeah, the whole time. which is oh, nice. man. I was watching for it this time. It happens right as soon as you go to him because he's wearing. Yeah, the his, whole speech takes place in, in Robin's in, in Robin's office. office. Yeah. So the end. The idea that this guy is like he's thinking about it so much. You know that he's like, oh, it's, you know, politics and this humans and humanity to man. It's like, no, nah, this guy, this guy jumps out of his car and punches people randomly on the street. You want to <laughs> tell me that somehow he's some now he's some great humanitarian who worries about the about the about the guy? It's like again, I just I I always sort of read the speech. He's a little too Jesus of Jesus of knowledge. You know, yeah. I just like, he's a little too perfect. He's a little too everything's good about this. He's you know other than well, the fact that he it w- is good will hunting. Just stop punching people. That's your only problem. You know, <laughs> that's what we need to learn at the end of the story. Is, <laughs> you know, just stop punching just people. Just the idea that you know, da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> not punching finds a way. Uh, so ah, because that ah. doesn't quite jibe with the rest of it, which is like your problem, Will, is you're afraid to go out there. You're afraid to be. You know, you want to stay in your safe little space. Blah blah blah. Right. That doesn't jibe with that reason for turning down the job, which is like, no, I'll become a terrible evil person. I'll become a bureaucratic fat cat, and I'll become part of the, uh, you know, the, the the patriarchy. And yeah, right. And and it's like, it should be, you know, more like, no, I maybe, you know, could he be? Yeah, I mean, the fact that I get to like pick who to drop bombs on that sounds wicked awesome. But I I'm afraid of just getting a job and having to yeah. put on a tie every day, and I don't want to be that guy. And yeah, I see yeah. I see the version of it that you're talking about where it could be thematically stronger. I don't yeah. mind it that way only because I, that whole speech sort of fulfills the exact same role as when he does the thing with his brothers does. Where it's the the thing that I'm gaining from this is noticing that look at how 
smart this guy has to be for this entire he can see the entire field and lay out something like that and and walk his way back out of it exactly in order backwards just to make a point to basically just be dismissive is the point he's he's just throwing job no fuck it but instead of saying no fuck it he actually did this entire thing just because he wants to troll people and fuck with them but the thing that i took away from it is look at how ornate a point he can he can make off the top of his head and then reconstruct it exactly and Mm -hmm. isn't he smart it's the same thing with when he does the i can off the top of my head just name 12 guys names like i've known them my whole life and then if you ask me to repeat it i can where it's yeah. just it's a dazzling display of look at how weird the connections and how how like accessible all these pieces of information are to him he's so smart yeah but i could see that exact same thing working in a way where he's turning down the job for a specific reason and not just dismissing it because he's dismissive as a character but like specifically not that job because some reason about his character well what if for example he would make that exact same speech and Robin Williams go yeah i read that book too you know, I was like, yeah, that's not what you think. Yeah. You yeah. just quoted me a thing that you read yeah. Yeah. and played it back to me. That's not the real reason you turned the job into the job. You're fucking bullshitting with me. Get out of my office. Uh, I could see that. <laughs> you know, if you flip that around, like the idea is like, again, and again, coming back to what Robin Williams' point is, is like you, you've read about life. You've, you know, grabbed every book you can get your hands on, but you haven't been out and lived life. And you're using that thing you read in a book as an excuse to not go out and get this job. Yeah. <clears throat> you're, you're wasting my time. Get out. You know, and so, again, just it feels like just not quite connected there. Again, always in the service of making him just always – he's always the smartest one, and he's all the different kinds of smart. And I, I would like it if more like he's he's happens to be crazy super genius at math, happens to have a good memory, to, but doesn't necessarily grasp the right. things he talks about. He can just repeat them. Yeah. You know, and and so the idea of of yeah, you you say that you don't feel that, and you don't really even know what most of that meant, right? Because and if I asked you one follow up question, you would stare at me blankly. Yeah, exactly. So so that's your shield. Is you? I'm 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 wicked smart. It's like no, you you know a lot of words, and you can blast them out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you're not actually that smart at anything but math, and and that's what you're afraid of, and that's what you're hiding, and that's what you're covering up. But the math is your ticket to get out of here, so you got to roll with that. I mean, I, I, it's weird how the girl in this movie is the only character that doesn't have bangs. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the '90s. Yeah, even fucking Gordon Wood guy at the bar has a huge. Yeah, he's got a nice well, little swoop like going on. Young yeah. Indiana Jones swoop. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, how that guy is like. I think he's a clone of David Morris. It's like David yeah, Morris is a little, too, a little too old to play that role anymore, but 10 years earlier, that absolutely would have been David Morris. And uh, clearly they were going, if only we could get David Morris. In this, this. movie universe, I have that guy's that. older brother is David Morris, and he's a cop somewhere in South. I'm sure he is. <laughs> and he's trying, to, uh, he's trying to give some street smarts to his douchebag preppy little brother. Who will also be played by Casey Affleck. Yeah. <laughs> I miss the Charles River. I miss <laughs> Rivers. People keep talking about the L.A. River like it's a river, and I've never seen evidence. Yeah, it's not. Uh, yeah. I saw water in it the other day. I, I just, sure. I, just water in, I see water in I'm it. Sure, there's water in it right now because we had rain yesterday. Even at its most okay, I can kind of see why river might be the word you'd use if you spoke too fast and didn't have the word canal in mind. <laughs> yeah. But like, I NPR talks about it like it's a river and there's kayaking. Well, and well, I'm like, I've never seen anything. There like is that. in certain. Well, it used to. There be, are in parts. It used to be a legitimate river. We have gradually just encased it in cement, but it always was and is oh. a channel of a river. See, I always thought it was just a joke. I thought no, it was no, like it's, some fucking Hollywood. It's, it's sewer, a river that we have completely tamed and turned into a cement channel, but it was always a river. Huh. Um, and in some sections, it's more of a river than it is here in Los Angeles, Los Angeles. Well, I mean, um, yeah, well, where you that, can go kayaking in it. Yeah. Par, well, part of the synthesis of that 
observation of mine is that I'm always being, I'm always hearing and seeing signs like for the parts of the river that I've ever seen where it's just a, a square U-shaped concrete channel. It's like, don't go in this thing ever. And if it's raining, doubly so. And if you see someone drowning in it, moving, you know, shooting down the river at 50 miles an hour because there's nothing to slow the water down, yeah. don't jump in because if you do, there's no way out. It's just a big yeah. gutter. There's a ladder every quarter of a mile. If you miss it, you're going to die. Don't go after the guy. Let him die. And that's like the version of the LA River that's in my head where it's like, not only is it not like what a river looks like, Charles River, it's also like, yeah, and if you get in it, you'll probably die. It's a river. Sometimes we ride like motorcycles in it and shit. Yeah, we, we have like truck fights and, and like motorcycle jumps. Yeah, that we shoot in movies it. in it. Well, as, as Los Angeles plays itself, we'll explain to you at Land Space Shuttle. In it. Sweat, yeah. Damn it. Teague. Sorry. But yeah, you, you won't die just go by, by going down into it. I mean, people. Well, most of the time it's dry. Yeah, when it's yeah. dry, it's fine. But like the thing was, it, it, is. If you fall into a yeah, river, oh, you're talking about when it's fuller yeah, yeah, and rushing. Yeah, after a flash flood, yeah. yeah. When it floods, someone will like, always get pulled into it. Yeah, yeah it goes but we're way faster gonna... than like the Mississippi River doesn't move anywhere near that fast because it's huge and it gets stopped up and the flow of water can only happen at the, at the top speed at the top of the water. Everything else is getting bumped up against shit underneath the water. Well, that's with the, the LA River, it's just a sh- it's just a drain. It could just shoot down it like a pipe. Yeah, well, that's the issue of that's the issue of you know here in LA where we're we're not exposed to things like we don't have a you know, our city doesn't have a real river like the Charles yeah. River, you know where it's like people are, oh okay that's water and you can drown in it you know it's like for us it's like oh look there's water in the channel that normally isn't there I want to go down and touch it oh it's I'm being swept away that was I heard you a know. there was a theory that was so we just can't handle it I, I saw it but there, there's something about the nature of Los Angeles itself that propagates the everyone gets afraid of gluten shit. <laughs> and, and, and that kind of thing where it's like nothing in L.A. can kill you. Like if you live in Denver, like nine things can kill you all the yeah. time. And like there's poisonous you, you, animals and you have like a snowmobile and, and shit like that. Yeah. Like part of your life is all your life. You're dealing with the fact that sometimes people just die because the world is scary and fucking random. But in Los Angeles, it's every every day is 70 degrees. The beach is small waves. And like there's nothing that's going to kill you. And the earthquakes, so everyone, don't, earthquakes come every 20 years, right. the bad ones. So we forget what those are like. So everyone just kind of lives in this space where they, they don't have a real thing to fear. There's not a target for the anxiety. It's just sort of collects on the floor like a, like a poorly irrigated parking lot and it's just like I think everything's kind of scary and then all of a sudden you're having like allergies to things like the wrong kind of air conditioning so because there are no bears outside we yeah. start worrying about carbohydrates exactly. yeah. is that the basic theory like, and thank it, god by the way because if not for Los Angeles we'd still be fucking drinking out of fluorocarbon carbon cups so you're I welcome know. thank you're welcome America we've, we've fixed that for you of course now we're also afraid of vaccines so this is a nice this is you know this is as we've been saying many times this is kind of the core concept of this dynamic here this movie this this concept of even Ben Affleck goes, no, dude, <laughs> get out. Seriously, get out. And it's, I think it's a fun little moment. I, I, I was kind of taken by surprise. I'd forgotten this. Obviously, I'd forgotten it from when I saw it originally years ago. This idea that, you know, Affleck is the one who goes, yeah, this is my yeah. life. It's going to be my life. I accept it. But you can get out of this, and you should, and I'm going to be pissed if you don't. And, yeah. then, you know, and again, there's the, the, and it cuts right to these guys, because there's a similar but different dynamic about potential versus the direction you went in with your life and the regrets you may or may not have. And Robin Williams is like, I, I was with my wife, and I have no regrets. Fuck you. That's yeah. it. You know, you don't, and you don't know because you don't know. But don't tell me my life didn't turn out right. Because Stellan Skarsgård really was the chicken shit in his own way yeah. that he never broke out of. Oh, I'm I'm good oh, at I'm, math, and I will stay in that in that bubble. I'm the famous one, yeah, and that's the success. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, where's your wife, pal? So, 
You know, it's like, yeah, it's 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 there's a nice that dynamic is the is the core of the movie is the before after the the where you start versus where how your life turns out thing is kind of the, the center of the movie. Um, there's a lot of extraneous trappings that uh, I think, you know, maybe might have trimmed down a little bit, maybe a little less, uh, you know, jerking off in baseball gloves going on. But uh, <laughs> but that's, you know, like Casey said, didn't even know they were rolling in that scene. By the yeah, way. I know. Yeah, no, that was that was that was, just, that was actually this is a lunch break. Um Douchebag. So everyone on the set is very lucky that Casey found that glove. Yeah, whoo! Because otherwise, it would have been the craft guy. You can buy that glove on eBay now, but I wouldn't recommend it. Um, <laughs> little little Casey's are growing out of it. Yeah. So there's a lot of you know, again, there's at the core of it, and what what is kind of interesting and and makes it not that I have a you know a, th- a conspiracy theory at all, but it's like, well, how did these two young guys come up with this kind of interesting, insightful? old guy dynamic you know like i understand yeah. how they can be like yeah. the two young guys you know but kevin smith didn't have like two elderly people outside that convenience store talking right interestingly about what it is to be old and looking back on your life and years of regret right. because he yeah. didn't yeah he didn't have that that perspective but somehow we are to be we are to be told we are to assume my Affleck my and guess. Damon were able to come up with this really interesting dynamic of what older people can do and talk like and how it can be like that. My my theory would be that it's a lot of Robin Williams because it seems like a lot of Robin Williams is certainly it comes through in a lot of his monologues and his scenes, this one being an example. But there's something about that point of view that rings very Robin Williams of. I have done every fucking drug on the planet <laughs> <laughs> and almost died three or four times yeah. or whatever, you know, from over to whatever it is uh, and come through all that and am constantly fighting the demons that we know he, you know, obviously at this point we know how that turned out. Um, but it's, it seems to be coming from that perspective and maybe, maybe I'm reading into it. Maybe that's not there at all. But to me that, that seems to be the ballpark that it's coming from. Well, I certainly I, I would I would agree with you. That's at the very least informs his performance of a person but, who but lived saying, quite a life. Uh, but I'm saying his his performance <laughs> and that's you know that perspective that he's giving to that character is probably giving it overall ultimately responsible for like, the, it, when, the when they wrote tone. it. It was more like here are here's a teacher and a psychiatrist who have known each other for a long time and they don't like each other. Yeah. And then like it got sort yeah. of filled in, and yet they do because they're actually old friends and they're really yeah. But they but they, like they're old guys, but they bicker was sort of the extent yeah. of the emotional. Historicity I, that they had written into it. I mean, I bet yeah. their original script was basically, oh, smart guy from Southie has a chip on his shoulder. But what is actually holding him back, I bet is com- a, a lot is coming from the perspective of Rob Williams' character. Well, so we, we come back to the question of like, well, are we saying that? Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I don't have a, I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, they couldn't possibly. I'm right, saying, right, right. I'm saying bravo for, you know. Um, for being able to. Surprisingly astute to have built that into the story. Yeah. From the, you know, what were they? They were early 20s, weren't they? Early mid 20s at yeah, the mid-20s, time? Mid 20s, maybe. You yeah. know, it was like. Maybe's. Just kids and like to have this really interesting, like, like, you know, as we've said many times, like what movie nowadays even has the point of view of a person who's over 25 represented, <laughs> you know, that's, that's something we don't get anymore. Yeah. So, um, you know, the fact, so, so the idea of this being that, you know, this movie that hardly ever gets made anymore is uh, again, underscored, but I just, like I said, I just think it's, it's great that they, they had that with going on with these, uh, these guys. Um, one of the nicer moments and also a nice at the moment I thought was really like a nice dramatic choice was the moment that just happened there where 
uh, and here's the dramatic mm. choice we don't like, which with, is with the, the, like, the flashback. But uh, the too. fly, uh, yeah, just help me. But I really liked. It was kind of like a, a surprise. Like, oh wow, I didn't, I did not see that coming. Um, the fact that these two guys are arguing about what's best for Nigel, and he walks in and catches them doing it. Yeah, and the idea that. I think what I what I get from it, and it's it's a nice little touch, is the idea that a hundred people staring you in the face and going, "I care about you so much," means Nothing. so much less yeah. than holy shit. When I'm not here, these two guys argue about how they want to help me. They mm. oh fuck, they they really do care. <laughs> you know, that's that's serious business. You know, and, and the fact that he's clearly affected by that, like he's like, "Wow, okay, yikes." You know, more than in any any number of people going, but we care about you, Will, and we want you to do well. The fact that when I'm not here, these guys argue about how to help me do okay. That's you know that that that's a that's a nice moment and leads into this moment nicely yeah. about I don't you know the sense I don't deserve to be cared about like that, yeah. which is then solved with the it's not your fault. Which uh, what do we think? Well, uh, I I think at this point it's just a matter of. It's it's that famous moment. So it's 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 become a cliche now because the moment at the time was so successful. Yeah. If that makes sense. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, we can look at it with disdain after the fact, but up until you know, up until this moment, it wasn't a thing. And I think it's I think it works, and I think it's strong. Yeah, I agree. And I hadn't realized, I hadn't remembered. This is not a thing that I remember when I'm not watching Goodwill Hunting. But this conversation is not happening because Robin Williams finally figured him out so much as. Like the, the I'm not the, it's not your fault thing isn't because Robin Williams has finally synthesized the exact words that will break his psyche and change everything for him mm. forever. It's a moment that's reacting to Robin Williams having a shared experience with a dad that used to be the shit out of him and being like, mm-hmm. I have in my life had to deal with this and I've eventually realized that it's not my fault that this happened to me. And yeah. he, he sees no one's told you that you need to hear that. And that's why that's happening. Mm-hmm. It's not that he's just like figured out the weird psychoanalysis bit that this is going to do something. Robin's just like this could have just as easily not with the emotional climax of the movie. It's just a thing where it's like someone needs to tell this kid that it's not his fault because he's never going to deal with it himself sort of thing. And it's a great... I forget whether Rob Williams knows he was abused through the whole thing or not, but it's a great turn from the moment on their first big conversation on the park bench where he's like, listen, you know, you can quote Shakespeare at me, but you don't know what it's like to be in love or be in war. Uh Just like you are an orphan and I won't know the first thing about that because I read Oliver Twist. Right. But at the same time... And maybe he, he's purposefully, he's knowingly holding back at that moment. He does have that common uh, experience with him on that on that one front. Mm-hmm. And chooses not to cash that card. I like it. I, I, I dig it. And it's funny talking about how if it's a cliche moment and if it's kind of um, it, it, out of context, looking back on it, this looks like a really old-fashioned scene with the whole it's not your fault thing. It looks cheesy. I have the exact same thing. I think I've mentioned this before about Requiem for a Dream. When I watch Requiem for a Dream in that actual piece of music starts playing that whole thing it's like the most huge piece of music that's been like stolen and used in trailers ever since then yeah. like the two towers and everything else and it shows up and now it's like the default joke serious music moment it's the illuminati right. video yeah so music. when i go back and watch requiem for a dream i'm like oh fucking really this is the cheesiest like cheapest <laughs> choice it's they could have oh right that's the score for this movie never mind sorry the, sorry sorry requiem for a dream my it, bad it's the hitler downfall uh yeah. scene yeah. It's, you know, I finally, I, I watched Downfall itself. <laughs> and the movie falls apart of that scene because you're like, it's not funny yeah, at all. Yeah, this yeah. is lame. Here. The tone is weird. I can't believe they cut this in. Why did they use that? Well, it's just like, well, these, these subtitles aren't funny. He's just talking about <laughs> yeah. the armies moving. Yeah. That's like totally straight. Oh, right. Yeah. 
Yep, hunting. So yeah, there's something missing here that the I, I mean, the, the the dot I think could have been not that I like everything patent connected, but the idea like that it could be a two part breakthrough. It could be like, oh, okay, I do deserve to get out of here. I do deserve to get a job. I do deserve. I do want that NSA or whichever one job. Because I don't think he's going to the NSA job. He's going right. to one of the other ones. I he's do. Fo- want he's that, following Skylar. I do want that. I do want that job. And then to make the leap after that, like. But that job I can get any time right now. I got to go get that girl. Right. Yeah, All right. You know that. Oh, that I see. Connect the logic so that. Yeah, it's, the yeah. idea is like you know the the two parts, the two steps of I not only do I deserve a job, but oh god, there's that girl I threw away that I actually love. <laughs> Shit, I got to yeah. go do that. There's there's a thousand of these fuckers. Yeah, exactly. There's, could, there's plenty in California too. You're right. I am a genius. I can work for any of these people. Yeah, but the girl's getting away. So. We just passed a just a throwaway scene, just an establishing shot, like stock footage scene of a of a guy rowing. What are mm-hmm. those? What are those Sculling. called? Sculling. When and then when you have a bunch of guys, it's crew. When it, yeah, when it's when uh, each oarsman has one oar, that's crew or rowing. Oh, and when each when they have uh, like the when cricket, each rower has arms. both row yeah. both oars, uh, that's sculling. Anyway, I was just wondering if when you saw that shot of the guy sculling, if that reminded you of that time that you 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 sank a goddamn crew boat. And if and if so, <laughs> I, just want, I just want to say it's not your fault. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> like it, it wasn't let, my let fault. It go. There's just a fucking case. pipe under the w- surface of the water, <laughs> at, right outside of where we had to turn in. It's not your and fault. we just ran over the fucking fault. thing. It's, it's not, not your, your fault. fault, Brian. No, Brian. <laughs> oh, it's not your fault. <laughs> Other people ran. No, over it's too. not your fault. <laughs> but f- those fucking oh, wow. We we went into suddenly got into a very <laughs> weird area here. Those fiberglass boats, though, some of. Expensive Th- fucking things. That is your fault. That's your that fault. Yeah. That one actually is on you. <laughs> the school agrees. That's they, they've got a, they sent a debt collector. That's weird. <laughs> no, I, it was on the social network. And there was a the 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 oh, scene. Talk about it on yeah. social network. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> you're, just like, you're like, you started a conversation by going, so has anyone ever been on a boat that stinks? <laughs> 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 I have. It was great, too, because uh, so I was on the crew team in high school, but I was I was a week. I was, it was way too weak to be a rower and just like barely too big to be the coxswain who's the guy who sits at the front and shouts orders. But so I was basically the coxswain for kind of the crappy boat that just was the leftover people. And so the coaches would go off and train the two boats that they were actually like actively coaching. And they would just like we were the third boat. They would go, yeah, so just like go and practice, I guess. I don't know. It's not your fault. And so we would just <laughs> row around <laughs> the marshes of South Jersey in this fault. boat. I mean, the marsh, that's hilarious. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of awesome. That's hilarious. <laughs> I that I hadn't occurred to me that the the the, the, the marsh South Jersey part of that whole thing. Yeah, it's where it's the backwaters of South yeah, Jersey. It's like I wonder if there's a, a like an extensive crew program in any of the schools in like the Everglades where it's like there's like the team of guys that are on the river and they actually like the, the good channels and shit like that. And there's the third boat that's just like it's got like they they have a, a boat from the 50s that has a big fan on the back of it. That they can, <laughs> like, there's a whole like weird fan boat crew team that are just fucking around like they get lost outside of the Kennedy Space Center somewhere and later found in the bodies of an alligator. Well, there was there was actually a crew team at my college, but I never did it. Um, but I I don't think I would actually want to row crew or do that boat in Florida because there are alligators in the water in Florida. Oh there, yeah, there were no <laughs> alligators to worry about in New Jersey, so that was fine. That's why they're not afraid of gluten in Florida. Yeah, I can't figure out from because you don't see it closely. I I this, I can't tell if this is a Nova or a Chevelle, 
but I'm hoping it's a it Nova. Looks, it looks Nova-ish to me. Yeah, that yeah. was that that rear window. I don't know. Yeah. It, looks, See, that it looks pretty old. And they've got it. They've got it pulled. They got the logo pulled off there. But the it yeah that that grill definitely looks like. Uh, I love that. Nova-ish. There's a wonderful. Which I just I just I just have a thing for Novas because that was my first my first cars ever, and they're just my favorite cars. Is Novas good old muscle car? There's a wonderful little throwaway moment that I I, I always forget it and I always love it when. Ben Affleck is like he's like yeah Casey Affleck wanted to get you he wanted to get you a T pass straight six though holy shit <laughs> like Casey Affleck wanted to get you a T pass and he's just like that's not what I was saying and like yeah. they just keep they move away from it <laughs> but it's just like a moment where it's like yeah he wanted to get you that. that's not what I, like he's referring to a conversation that we didn't see but he's indignant about it it's a funny thing to do just you know move, it's, a, it's it's a screenwriting tip in general is make sure that your characters have off screen lives too but right. just like no, he, it's it, like that's this not movie what does I that nails that in spades no doubt about yeah. it that's just hilarious it's like yeah you know it's the case he wanted to get you a T pass that's not what I was saying yeah. it's just funny again it was, it's the the starting with the ease of these guys having actually, actually being, being brothers, brothers and just yeah. being able to riff on you know things from twenty years ago as if they were real because they are real some of them yeah. Um, Yes, that dynamic is great. And oh, uh, do you think Casey have like really fucked a baseball glove? At, at some probably, point, that's such actually. a specific. That's such a specific thing to do. Yeah, probably. Oh. Now that now that I I didn't, yep. didn't think about it until you said it, but yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I'm sure that happened. And if you plant that glove in a park somewhere, a tree will grow out of it. Twenty percent chance is happening right this minute. <laughs> Well, he's he's more like you know how Dracula now, sleeps in a coffin. He can, Casey Affleck sleeps he can in a hire baseball glove. gloves now. <laughs> oh yeah, he, he, has, he doesn't. He can get a baseball glove now. <laughs> he's got a guy who brings a freshly unwrapped baseball glove to his chamber every morning. Beastly sorry to interrupt you, Mr. <laughs> Affleck. Your your new wife for the morning is here. Yes, <laughs> Slugger. It's my baseball wife. Slugger. <laughs> <laughs> Sheila. Slugger. I barely know her. <laughs> no, but seriously, bring it over here. <laughs> just leave it on the bed like always <laughs> I got a, I got a lunch meeting but I'm back later and like it's just like it cuts to Casey Affleck just wearing lipstick on it and it's like <laughs> goodbye horses and he's like putting like a wig on the glove <laughs> so you like the Red Sox yeah uh, who doesn't like the Red Sox <laughs> would you fuck me <laughs> I'd fuck me hard. Oh, you're a glove. Was she a big old fat person? Was she a was great she, big fat Was she lady? a lefty oh, glove? I'd, I'd fuck me hard. Was she, was a, she was a left-handed glove, right? <laughs> She's a lefty. Flying over you. So wait, where's... I, I, I forget this part. Where, where's Robin Williams going? Uh, he's Jackson just going to see the world again. He's oh, right, travel. right, right, right. He's going to put himself And he's going to carry the ashes of his dead wife. Robin Williams has like put all the places Pretty on sure Earth on a list... With just two categories. It's like, Stellan Skarsgård's near here, Stellan Skarsgård's not, <laughs> and he's going to go to the not part. Yeah, the place where <laughs> that guy's not so Which, much. the more movies I see Stellan Skarsgård in, the more I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want to... Because, like, I can't imagine... I can't remember any role where Stellan Skarsgård was, like, the super nice, cool guy. Like, even in... He's yeah. in the Marvel Avengers shit, and he gets becomes, like, possessed right. immediately. And, like, even ah, in... He's the, always a little off. Yeah. yeah he's creepy. He's, and Zodiac, or uh, Dragon Tattoo... Uh, he's oh, just yeah. a creepy family guy in that, and just he's always creepy, dude. It's because he's he's got the Nolan hair. Well, yeah, the the deeper the widow's peak, the more evil you are. So, oh yeah, oh, unless okay. you're Superman, suddenly which that. totally breaks the paradigm. Because I have a wow. pretty deep, I have a pretty deep eagles no, widows thing. No, well, don't. it's it's hard to tell because my hair is long, but yeah, you'll be a supervillain once you cut your hair. Yours yours is nothing compared to that. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, Stalin's actually connects down by his butt. It's all the way back. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's just a line of it's hair. A whole, down it's a Swedish. Nose. He's got he's got a spine mohawk. Yep, <laughs> it's just creepy. It's a Swedish peak. It's called. Uh, oh yuck. So Swedish this is you know, it it for all the all the quibbles and stuff. You know, at the end, 
they they stick the landing, you know, nicely, quickly, efficiently. I was kind of I was kind of pleasantly surprised in reviewing this movie. How quickly once it's like once it's over, it's over. We're done. That's yeah. it. We're out. Yeah. You know, um, cue the and, Elliot. And the fact that it's you know it's the the two the two circles that need to be closed get closed instantly. And concurrently. And concurrently yeah. and efficiently. There's and, no Lord of the Rings and thing we're done. going on. And the movie's yeah. over at that point. And that was, you know, I respected that tremendously. I thought that was a great job. Did I, did I miss the, the sitting on the bench scene? Did yeah. that happen? We were talk- you, were, you, were, you were talking about uh, Danny. Oh, Danny. That's right. Yeah. Because yeah. I've, I've been thinking, when the hell does that happen? So, Not, oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a coda. It's yeah. after the credits. Oh, yeah. 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 It's a special feature. Yeah. Which, I mean, he, you were talking about uh, Danny at the time. So uh, I didn't so mention it's appropriate. it. But, it worked. Uh, there's the restraint in editing in that scene and there's obviously yeah, elsewhere, shot. elsewhere too but the the way it just like he does the whole monologue and he's like directly addressing matt damon through parts of it and you can you can tell by the text that matt damon is reacting even just in the words and williams's delivery uh-huh. but it completely refrains from editing uh, from cutting to him at all and it slowly <laughs> just dollies yeah, but in the first over. in the first edit like halfway through that speech you just cut to like a baseball game <laughs> and, and, <laughs> yeah. and a guy walking upstairs which at that point for yeah. some reason yeah. exactly he's just something he's just weird there's something there's some weird about it I agree shit. with the Clint Howard he's yeah. the Clint Howard he's, of our generation man I uh, like his character in uh, Ocean's Eleven is just it's so him and Scott Kahn yeah like I'm stop so antagonizing good. me they're just so uh, <laughs> I'm not touching so you off. I'm not touching you I'm not touching you though yeah all right, and I like, and I, I really do like that the the, the last little touch is, uh, you know, and it feels like an improv, whether it is or it not. It is, it is, you know, but just like you stole my, yeah, boom, that's I'm such a, a such a line. nice, you know, a nice little, and then they lived happy. You know, it's not like a huge, yeah, big crescendo. It's like a little, like, eh, all right, a little thumbs up from it's Robin Williams. Really nicely done. And Elliot Smith. I mean, I didn't. I, uh, I'm a. I'm, I'm a. I'm a big fan of Elliot Smith that. in general. <laughs> also, this shot is like I just from the technical standpoint. This is it. We're gonna. This to the end of the credits. This is you know. This is the, the shot rolls. So I. They don't at, do these kind of shots the anymore. Opening, they we go to the opening of The Shining. Actually, that's, that's yeah, true. Yeah, and yeah, for yeah. one, and suddenly we're flying over an island. But what's Matt interesting Damon is not only not only I was watching this thing because I was like, how long is this? Because obviously when they when they end on a mo- on a shot like this, you always want to go, how long did they keep it going? Right. Yeah. How long did those guys ride into the sunset before they finally called cut or the or the film ran out? Yeah. yeah. This one is like. It's a whole matter. Clear, clearly been timed because he get it goes all the way to losing him around a corner. He actually disappears. Out of the shot, you have to watch it all the way to the end. Oh, that's interesting. But but it ends. It ends. There is an ending to this shot where he you lose him into the distance. The car finally pulls away into the distance and goes around a corner and disappears. So clearly, they shot this whole mag and then back timed these credits to start so that the, so, yeah, the so, ending uh, would yeah. end on there the was, right there time. There was two minutes of driving before we cut to it. Yeah, and they just timed it so that the ending. And they timed it, it so the, the ending, ending on the fade out yeah. is dead on. And so it's like, wow, okay. So that I do was, feel like these credits are going a little faster than they would be otherwise. Maybe I'm imagining that, but that's no, about right. I didn't really notice that myself. I, I, but that's good for them for doing the that. The thing that cracked me up, though, is, is after they do the Miss Misery song here, the Elliot Smith, they actually play... Afternoon Delight in its entirety, which I totally <laughs> respected, having done the Afternoon Delight riff earlier in the movie. Like, oh my God, you actually, you actually played Afternoon Delight. I've never watched this far to know that that happened. That's yeah, no. After Miss Misery ends, they play Afternoon Delight. That's the last song. Which, whoever, like, if you had a mixtape that went from Miss Misery to Afternoon Delight, yeah, 
like report that guy. That's, I, that's I not, laughed out loud when that happened. I was watching because <laughs> I wanted to see how far this shot would go. I was right. like, it's still going, and I just let it play, and then suddenly it launched into 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 into, into afternoon delight, and I was like, oh my god! I bet I bet their their line of thinking was, no one's going to be in the theater for that to happen anyway. Yeah. This is a joke for the projection. But I was like, good for them to like, okay, you you took the swing at Starland Vocal Band, but you also gave them some money, so good for you. You know, you gave them some cash. That's nice. Yeah. So Good Will Hunting. Uh, I feel like we actually put our finger on the thing that I've always sort of felt about this movie, which is the the sort of effortlessly charming version of it. it it's just um, it, it was a, a weird. It's a longer movie than I remember it being. So our conversation yeah. had some weird tangents in it. But I, I enjoyed the tangents. I enjoyed everything about it, and I enjoy Afternoon Delight. Uh, yeah, it's a good movie. And what's good is like I just feel like I filled the tank Bartek. for the next two or three years. Yeah, there's Bartek right there. It's yeah, my boy. And um, <laughs> yeah, the music contractors are. The music oh, team. Music oh, here, team. here, can we just say yeah. Paramount scoring stage? Him? May she rest in peace. Oh, oh. Uh, that uh, that stage closed. Yep, really? that's a bummer. Oh, that's a bummer. A few years back. Yeah. All right, Brian. Yeah, uh, this. I was. I was not. I did not think that this movie would collapse completely under uh, revisiting. <laughs> <be hilarious>. But <laughs> <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> this. <laughs> this is total bullshit. Uh, ben Affleck was dead the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Spoiler. But uh, I think it holds up even more than than I was expecting it to. Uh, I think I might have expected it to be a little more just like, well, that was clearly from the 90s. Uh, uh, but no, I think it's really solid even so. Um, and uh, there, there are little like, th- you know, things like there are, you know, Teague used, Teague used the metaphor of the polished stone. Uh, and I think it's a little like, river rock, a little river rock. And I think that's a good uh, metaphor. And there, there's still a little, you know, a little uh crags here and there that could have been uh worn down even a little bit more but you know that's casey affleck was fucking him but (laughs) (laughs) when he wasn't with his he found a crack that's not what he was saying uh but yeah i mean it's see watch he's about to head around the corner he's pulling away he's heading around the corner he's heading around that corner and just when it lands it's gonna fade as soon as as soon as he's out of frame it's gonna it's gonna end um but uh, I've never been this on edge. I know the, about the end like of the credits. The suspense of this end of development. Memory of Alan Ginsberg and William Burroughs. Burroughs. Wow, crazy. So, okay, that's the stuff you read, you guys. You can you don't you don't know what it's like to have been William Burroughs. You don't know what it's <laughs> like. Right, right, a, year, a year from now, you're gonna come in here and be talking about David Foster Wallace. Yeah, yeah. 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 Come in here and be talking about Chuck Palahniuk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Alex Ruger, how yes. do you feel about this here movie? Watch here. It's looping. Watch the Miramax logo. This is fucking retarded. It just keeps going. Just keeps going. Like just keeps going. M. Just keeps going. In, there's a big like M. This and the whole thing. And the Jesus. <clears throat> it's almost like the Weinstein brothers have extraordinarily large egos. Yeah. And tiny dicks. That can't one be right. Of them. That can't one be right. Just yeah. one of them. Yeah. It's not his fault. Alex. Well, uh, I don't know. I feel the same way as when I was a freshman <laughs> in college. I don't know what that says about me. It's still. It's, it's, you it's, like Boston. It's, it's just like. Yeah, yeah you like Boston. That's what it is. It's a good little film. Like there's there's nothing there's no huge complaints that I have you know I think it it maybe could have been they should have they could have shaved off ten minutes ten fifteen minutes but yeah like beyond that it's like yeah this is a a perfectly good film and for like you know being the basically the beginning of their careers extra yeah. impressive yeah um you know the 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 depth of the you know, imagining what it's like to be an old guy, pretty much with Robin Williams, like we, what what we were saying, like like that's it's very depthful. That's a word. <laughs> Deep writing. Um, that uh, they, they, yeah, they they really did a great job with it. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to listen to Danny's score, but uh, yeah, it's it's Downside great. Downside of our show. And it really, really 
works works great with the film and yeah Trey have you have you come around at all or are you still feeling the same or I, like, well I yeah, was it's a movie it's if my my res- reaction was uh, is the same as when I was watching I didn't have any particular reason to remember this movie for for the past 15 years um, as I said I was really worried the first 30 minutes of watching it this time I like, go oh god what is it really is it really just all this? Right. But then, because I'd just forgotten that, you know, okay, once the once the sporting stories, once the B and C plots kick in, right. which are intertwined, Blake Snyder is smiling down from heaven, um, you know, then the movie becomes what it really is. And, and you know, other than, I've got, you know, like I said, some, some quibbles, some, like, mostly on the order of, like, I think they could have done one more polish, like, what kind of genius is Will Hunting and be specific and not so... Yeah go with the easy he just knows he knows everything he knows all all things um could have sharpened this up a little bit and 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 th- thematically done it all um but yeah it's it's i'm not i'm certainly not uh, my argument was never they should not have won the oscar for this it's like yeah you know you win the oscar however you can you know that's that's oh yeah that's they did fine. nothing they did nothing wrong in this it's not yeah. like it's not like they, they sank a yeah. boat yeah, no, no, exactly. Um, That'd be way worse. And it's a, it's yeah, it's a, it's a great. It's a, it, it, whoever is at fault. In the end, it's a great little character. Yeah, it's 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 not so much who sank the boat; it's who didn't nominate the script about the boat yeah. being sunk. That's that's the issue that we really need to. If get someone to. if someone had nominated, a, I was talking about Titanic, Brian. What do you think I was talking about? Yeah, I just, <laughs> I, I was, I was literally just. Not flashing back is too strong, but remembering that moment <laughs> uh, uh, of realization of like my whole oh, life is there water. Is my whole life is never going to be the same after this. This, <laughs> this is a turning point this in my boat life. Is going under Mr. the water. Mr. Andrews, <laughs> won't you make a try for it? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's literally like this. Oh. Th- this this thing is doing the one thing oh. it's designed oh. specifically oh. not to do. <laughs> That's that's a failure on a very deep level. When the boat no longer does boat thing, <laughs> the definition of boat. That's that's how you know you've crossed a serious line. So, that's how something has gone very very yes, wrong. Yes. Anyway, this, by, by this act, I have changed this thing to a different thing. I have changed its entire nature. It is no longer a thing that it is. <laughs> the, the constitutional <laughs> definition of this thing no longer applies. It's vibrated object. out of sight. <laughs> Clearly, that's not a good move. Uh, <laughs> like, what could you do to a dog that it no longer would be a dog? That's extreme. That's pretty extreme. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll tell you who would know, though. I'll tell you who would know. Casey Affleck. Oh, you can do some things to a dog where it doesn't want to be a dog yeah. anymore. I can tell no, you that. it was it was years of therapy before they just got him to do gloves. Before, before that, it was dogs. Yeah. You know who'd oh. be a great Riddler is Casey Affleck. Oh, there you right. go. Oh, I could do that. Good Channel that into something just weird, and entertaining, yeah. weird and off-putting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and unpleasant. Yeah. Uh, just a dog crying in the shower. Anyway, too much, too much Casey Affleck. I, this needs a, it needs yeah, a, this they, movie, this movie needs just a, a, less. He's Mr. Misery, he's let the me ju- tell you. He's the Jar Jar of this movie, just he a is little the bit. the of this movie. Yeah, a little bit less. <laughs> Any scene with Aff, with, with Casey Affleck in it is oh, on my chopping, is, is on my chopping block. We lose about three of those. Sure. Uh, this movie's, uh, this movie's golden. <laughs> it's perfect. You can always find more episodes at friendsinyourhead.com. Go to the forum, involve yourself in the conversation. It's a wonderful group of people and it's growing every single week. Week. Twitter.com slash friends in your head, Facebook friends in your head, friends in your head at gmail.com. I knew that I always said something after that, and I didn't know where it was going to go until I got to the end of it. That was fun for me. Was it fun for you? Buy our shirts. 
Give us money. There's a big PayPal button. We're not asking. We're just saying. Uh, MichaelScottFund.com. Holden yes. Hill designed and maintained the website. And until next time, my name is T. Christie. Brian Finifter. Alex Ruger. Jay Stokes. And this has been What Do You Do? Maybe we thank you much for Good night. Good night. Brian. Yes. It's not your fault. <laughs> actually, the, the, from reading the police report, it actually pretty much totally was your fault. Oh, shit. Oh, it was his fault? <laughs> oh, it, it, it absolutely was. Police reports. Oh. <laughs> uh, actually, the embarrassing thing was because uh, it was it leg- like legitimately was not my no, fault. It was your in fault. my opinion. It was your fault. <laughs> I mean, I was the I was the quote unquote captain of you? the boat. Listen, son, it was your fault. Uh, Why didn't you go down with it? I no. did. We all fucking went down with the thing. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, that's all right then. <laughs> well, then why are you? Here? At least, at least my feet weren't strapped in like the rowers. You, when you're a rower, you strap your feet into the the baseboard. Uh, the yeah, embarrass- very dangerous. The embarrassing thing was rowing with you tonight. Is <laughs> <laughs> when the the. The coach's boat, which is this little p- motorboat thing, uh, was like fishing us all out of the water. It was like rotating on itself, so and it was like a lip that kind of so it was like an overhang. The the bow of the boat was a little overhang, and so I was trying to climb up, and I'm like this high school weakling. I have no upper body strength whatsoever. It's part of the reason I'm not a rower. Uh, it was not. I'm, tra- I'm trying to haul myself into the boat, but it's also like rotating, so I'm like the overhang is like rotating over top of me as I'm trying to climb in. And then it's like, I, I can't get myself out of the water. Um, meanwhile, all the actual rowers are boom, 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 boom. If someone like right reached in. over to try to lift you up, you should have just like pulled all down on their arm and like brought them close to you. Like, My soul is prepared. <laughs> How's yours? How's yours? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. If I had been, uh, if I had been that yeah, clever, had, had been there, had there been anybody who, who would have appreciated it at the time. Sadly, I would not find those friends until college. Ah. Uh, uh, but yes, that that mo- that moment of like, be- because we were turning into the the channel that would take us back to the dock at that moment, and I was telling you know right side or starboard side row, uh, port side stop or whatever it was, and then they stopped just stopped listening to me. They stopped obeying my commands, yeah, which happens sometimes because they were all douchebags. Uh, they just stopped listening. So my, you know, my first thing was like, "Hey guys, pay attention. Do what I'm telling you to do." And they still didn't. And then I noticed something registered, like, "Oh, something is. They're freaking out about something. What's happening?" <laughs> this is and not their normal res- disrespect for my authority. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is an extreme case. Yes. And then uh, you know, it's, it registers, and I look down. It's like, "Oh, there's water, fella. The boat is going under the water." <laughs> like that. That's that. A, you just gave that me- moment of looking down and realizing look, 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 the look, boat look. is no longer. Longer being a boat is was a very distinct. Moment <laughs> the boat has in my stopped life. being. <laughs> yes, I don't know is, what it is now. It's all, not a boat. It's not a boat. It's, all it's, is lost. It's, it's material <laughs> yes. at best. It's matter. It's still matter. That's all. It's still occupying space and has mass. It is still just, generally boat shaped. It will be yes. by and large. Best, and yet like, somehow scenario, it's a replica. Still failing it's a, it's, in its core mission. <laughs> it's a boat shaped prop <laughs> of remaining uh, above uh, the water. You just gave me an idea for a Thanksgiving with the Crances thing you could do, where it's horrifying. But I have to imagine those 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 boats. The lifeboats on the Titanic had little inflatable rafts in them. And it could just be a thing where there's too many people in that. And then it's like half the people in this boat are going to die. And there's a little small raft that they can inflate. And it's just everyone having the exact same Titanic thing happen again, only on a smaller scale. <laughs> and it's just like half the, the lifeboat people is on, sinking. And it's, we like, have to, and it's like half the people in this boat. It's like not the people in the front half. It's yeah. just the inflatable raft splits in half. For no yeah. And then eventually yeah. that falls apart. And then it that springs a leak. Yes. And it's like, okay, now we get, but we do have this piece of wood. And and each subsequent lifeboat has its own musician team. Yes. Yes. So on every lifeboat, you've got, got the like violinist. A, just like a yeah. guy with a kazoo. One, there's one violinist. The next one's got like a little wind up music box. <laughs> <laughs> the monkey with the symbols. Yeah. <laughs>
the, the next one has a little emergency box. There's a kazoo. <laughs> an, event, an event of sinking. By the time you get all the way down, just the one guy and his, and his, his life jacket cracks in half is what yeah. happens. And he just has an old iPod. Is all yeah. is. Uh, the, la- the last one should and be... And a whistle. Just, yeah, the last one should just be a slide whistle built into the vest. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> That's what Titanic was missing. I feel maybe that would have gotten them the, the, the screenplay. It's just if there was more like slapstick, yeah, yeah. More, more funny, more with the comedy. Friendsinyourhead.com. <laughs> <laughs>